This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, anybody still sober out there? I know after a full day of celebrating both St. Patrick's Day and Purim, the number of sober listeners that we have at the moment might be pretty paltry. But uh, we're going to give it a shot. And look, you don't have to be sober to listen to this show. Uh, it's Friday. This is Morano in the morning. This is the hour of the week that so many of you seem to look forward to. It's a time where we ask We answer questions about any subject. You have a question. Hopefully, I'll have an answer. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. anything. That's right. Whatever you have questions about, I am going to do my best to answer them. Doesn't mean I will have an answer. It means I will do my best to answer them. 800-848-9222. Any subject is fair game. Uh, 1-800-848-WABC. If you have questions on any subject, go ahead and call. Let me begin as the lines are already crowding. Actually, uh, let me tell you what else is coming up. Uh, we're gonna. Uh, you might have heard me mention this to Dominic Carter. We're going to talk with... Uh, retired Army Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson coming up in uh, the 2 o'clock hour. Brilliant man, a decorated Army veteran, knows not only the military very well, but the bureaucracy of, of the United States government very well. A lot of thoughts on both military policy and foreign policy. He's going to join me in the 2 o'clock hour. And then my friend Marlena Schiavo is going to be here in the 4 o'clock hour. We'll also do denunciations at 3 a.m. But for now, there's at least two open lines. Go ahead and dial 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Pete in Piscataway. It's that away. Hello, Pete. In regards to Deep Space Nine, do you have any favorite episodes and characters? Uh, okay, um, good, great. That's a great question. So in terms of um in terms of characters, so I like Worf. Um I, I like Odo. In the case of both of them, they both struck me as uh complicated. Uh they both struck me as guys that were having a difficult time dealing with uh, their emotions. Um so I both I like both of them, but if I had to pick a favorite. I think my favorite character on that show has got to be Quark. Uh, I love Quark. I love the scenes at Quark's bar. I love how, you know, he's always looking for an angle. I, I, he's just so funny. I I think it's got to be Quark. Uh, in terms of episodes, there's a, n- a number of them that I like. I like a lot of the ones that had to do with the Dominion War. Uh, I like, um, you know, I, there's one episode where I'm trying to remember the name of it. I'm going to try and look up the uh, the name of it. There's one episode where, um, uh, and, and maybe if I describe it to you, it's told in retrospect. Where? Oh, no. Okay. 
Um, th- my favorite episode of the series, and I know it's such a novelty uh, episode, and I know it's an episode that only only suckers like me would would ever like. But uh, my favorite episode has got to be Trials and Tribulations, where they go back in time to the the time of the Tribbles. I think that's probably got to be my favorite episode. I like Deep Space Nine because at least they had some humor in the episodes. A few episodes are based around the laugh, anyway. Yeah, uh, no, no doubt about it. I also like it's a two-parter, but uh, the ho- Home Front and Paradise Lost uh, episodes eleven and twelve of season four. Th- those are th- that's really great television. In fact, a lot of people believe those are some of the best episodes of any Star Trek series. But uh, what's your favorite episode? Yeah, that's a good one. And look, I'm a baseball fan, and uh, I like that one a lot too. I like a lot of the the um, uh, the, the baseball themed episodes. Another one, and I drive people crazy because I quote this episode so often, or quote this phrase so lo- so often, is the episode "If wishes were horses." I find that one pretty fun too. Uh, Pete, great call, great well, question. Sorry, what did you say? Oh, look up with that one line where Quark and um, uh, I forget the challenge they were having a drink at the bar and talking about the Federation like root beer. Yeah, um, I will look at the the, the it was Galron who was the tailor. Yeah, right. uh, but it's uh, the, I also like, you know, see, the thing with Deep Space Nine is there's a lot of the first two seasons are not great, but the rest of the series is really terrific. I got to say. I like a lot of the um, the episodes that take place in the mirror universe as well. Um, and again, I know that's kind of being a sucker for the nostalgia of the original series, but I thought that was a lot of fun. Thank you, Pete. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Steve in Manhattan, what's your question? Well, WABC loves blocking Steve from Manhattan's calls, even though Steve from Manhattan put WABC All on right, the map. Enough with the commentary. What's your question? All right. The question is, I believe that some of these hosts in WABC are phonies, right? Do you think it's right for them to fool the audience? Really fool them like little children? Well, I don't think any of the hosts on WABC are phonies. Uh, I, I mean, well, you, go ahead. No, they are phonies. A lot right, of them what's your opinion? They're pretending to be conservatives. They're fooling the audience. So when you do that, you, you, what you're really doing is like you're just leading people to a certain point, and then you just fool them again. Well, look, that's what's I, happening. Steve, that's- I disagree. Uh, I can only speak for myself, but uh, I'm not pretending to be anything. I'm not. And I can't think of any of my colleagues that are doing that either. I mean, except for Curtis. But when Curtis does it, it's shtick. He's, he's joking around. He's saying things that um, – uh, that he doesn't necessarily believe to be true, to be funny. I don't think that's being phon- uh, phony. I think that's satire. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Leo is on the Upper West Side. Hello, Leo. Good morning, Frank. Uh, I have a two-part question. Okay. In how many countries, during your life, in how many countries you visited uh, for vacation or for, for job, for work, and the other part is, if you was ever in any uh, country of Warsaw Pact during the Cold War. Um, what was the last part of your question? If I was ever in any which country? Warsaw. Warsaw Pact. Uh, oh, Warsaw, Warsaw Pact countries. Yes, no, uh, during the yeah. Cold War. So, no, the answer to that question is no. So, I've been to all of the international uh, visiting that I've done has been for leisure. 
I, I was in Canada and I was in Mexico. I was in France and I was in England. I was in Aruba. I was in um, the I was in Bermuda. I was in uh, the Bahamas briefly. And uh, I, I was in the Vatican, which is a separate country. And uh, I think that might be it in terms of international travel for me. Good choices for vacation. Well, thank you, Leo. They all have something to offer, that's for sure. 800-848-WABC. The original, Tom in the Bronx. Except yes, no substitutes. Hi, Hello. Frank. I'd like to say, in the old-time serials that were uh, silence, uh, what was the adult version of Orphan Annie in the comics? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Is this a trivia question? I, I know. It, oh. Who it was was the perils of Pauline. Okay. Yeah, I can't say that I've seen that one. There's a lot of silent movies that I enjoy. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, uh, chapter plays or oh, serials. You know that what that was? That was real. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, there's a lot of serials that I enjoy and have purchased. I still watch the uh, Batman serials from time to time, for instance. Uh, the Rocketeer and a number of other Superman, uh, a lot of others. But I can't say that I've seen uh, that one. Again, I, I try to do whatever I can to discourage people from asking trivia questions because I, I either know the answer or I don't. I mean, I'm not sure where the conversation really goes from there. Let me say hello to Kate in Danbury, Connecticut. Hello, Kate. Hello. Good evening or good morning, I should say. And happy St. Joseph's Day for Saturday. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. I love this old-time movie, Some Like It Hot. With Marilyn Monroe and Tony Curtis, sure, me and too. Jack Lenny, me too. I definitely wanted to ask. I I'm glad you liked that too. <laughs> so happy because I love your show. I oh. love your radio station. So, well, that's awfully that's nice it. of you. Thank you, Kate. I'm a big fan of that film. That actually is my mom's favorite film, and uh, I think it is pretty close to a perfect film. Actually, it's hysterical. The comedy still holds up today. Now, with everybody being transgender, I think maybe it holds up even better today than it did years ago. I think it's great. And it's really, it's Billy Wilder, who was a real master. It's Billy Wilder, who's the director of that film, at his uh, at his best. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Ralph's in Jersey City. Hello, Ralph. Hi, Frank. My question is, why can't a native-born U.S. citizen get a New Jersey non-driver photo ID? I didn't know that they couldn't. Is that true? I had somebody drive me to Freehold. That was the closest place, you know, motor vehicle office, that I could get an appointment. And they turned me down because the birth certificate was from Hudson County, before 1965, and they're not valid. Yeah, uh, uh, Ralph, that's not something I know anything about. I have several friends that are state legislators who listen to this show. If any of them want to reach out to me on that, I'll be happy to report back with what they say. But uh, I, uh, I, it's not something I know anything about. 800-848-WABC. Uh, let me say hello to Arlen in Lindenhurst. Hello, Arlen. Frank, how are you? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Thanks. Don't tell, don't tell Curtis that uh, I Don't worry. That. Don't worry. Quick question. My question is, all right, 
I listen to the radio station. I'm, I'm on the left side, right? Nice. But why aren't any Russian callers calling in? Why are we not hearing their perspective? Number one, in an issue that the black community has been discussing is about these Africans who weren't allowed out of Ukraine. Do you know anything about that? I don't, actually. Uh, what can you tell me about that? I don't know much, but when I watch YouTube, I'm watching a lot of Africans that are saying, oh, listen, I, I necessarily don't want to fight for Ukraine. I don't want to be put on the front line. And um, there are also stories of watching YouTube that uh, there are these uh, African um, people from Africa that just are being allowed out, weren't allowed to leave the country. Yeah, I, I, Arlen, you're educating me. It's not something I know anything about. Uh, so I, uh, I, I don't know anything about that one, actually, Arlen. I'm, I'm happy to look into it, though. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Ariel is in Manhattan. Hello, Ariel. Yes, uh, good morning. Ariel, like do me a favor. When... I'm going to put you on hold. Turn your radio off. We'll come back to you. Turn your radio off. I just I just can't. I'm in such a good mood. It would so sour me to have to contend with a caller who has their radio on. It would just drive me crazy. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank. You know you have to say now turn your radio and TV off. I guess you're right. I guess you're <laughs> right. You never thought of that. We have two quick questions. Number one, have you been uh, watching the ping pong videos that I've been sending you? I haven't seen them, no. On Instagram. I, mean, I know Rachel Oh, no. You know, I usually, it ta- I usually don't um, always check the Instagram messages. I, I kind of figure if people have something interesting to say, they'll they'll email it to me. And, and there's just too many platforms to check. I don't, sometimes it'll take me weeks to check these Instagram messages. Okay, just a just a, a, a thought. The other thing is, have you seen the uh, Netflix series Money Heist? I don't think so. No. W- what is that about? It's a two part. The first one is a it's a, it takes part in Spain. It's a plan to ro- to rob the Spanish mint. Yeah, I'm reading about it now. I have not seen this, but it looks pretty interesting. Have you seen it? I, I've seen it. The second the second one they robbed the Spanish gold uh, depository. Frank. It puts the Godfather to shame. Really? It's that good? Everybody I've told, they can't thank me enough. It's the best thing I've ever seen on TV. Plus, I I, I watch it dubbed, because it it is in Spanish. And with the dubbing, there's no problem whatsoever. Neil, I'm going to put this on my list. With a recommendation like this, I'm putting it on my list right now. Frank, if you don't like it, I'll make a donation to your favorite charity. Well, thank you. That well, and again, I'm that's the the thing that I'm I prize most these days is time, not necessarily money. So I'm putting it down on my list. I hope it's as good as you say. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. By the way, uh, I forgot to mention that whoever comes up with the best, the most creative question, the most interesting question, we will give a complimentary the other side of midnight baseball cap to. So if you think you have what it takes and you can come up with a creative question, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. As you can hear, the questions can deal with anything. Film, television, books, business, radio, cocktails, advice, uh, my personal history, pro wrestling, gambling, Atlantic City, local politics, restaurants, 
New York, the criminal justice system, aliens, the mob, hypothetical questions, my personal preferences, relationships, baseball, the culture at large, religion, and, of course, foreign policy. 800-848-9222. Let me take a quick break, and then we'll continue with your questions in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. Other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano, 800-848-WABC. We are doing our best to tackle your questions as we do each and every Friday morning on any subject as we do. The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. anything. Whoever comes up with the best question, the most interesting question, the most creative question, the question that really makes you think or makes you laugh or, uh, I don't know, does something, we will give a complimentary The Other Side of Midnight baseball cap to, as determined by Molly, Matt, and sometimes Alex. 800-848-9222. Mary is in Maspeth. Hello, Mary. Yeah, so are you aware that Anthony Weiner's All left? right, the Janine Machine, uh, Twisted Justice, uh, with Richard Blasberg, CNN.org. Jennifer in Boston, hello. Hey there, Frank. Um, my question is, do you ever listen to or do you have any interest in old-time radio, things like um, Gunsmoke or Jimmy Stewart as the Six Shooter and Jack Benny Show, stuff like that? I, I do. In fact, I still listen. Um, th- there's a, a show, a Radio Classics channel on satellite radio, which I listen to pretty regularly that features a lot of those uh, I like uh, I like Jack Benny a lot. Uh, he's a personal favorite. I also like the radio version of movies that they would play, and that's one of the first things that attracted me to Joe Franklin's radio show. Is the first hour of his Saturday Night Show was him playing a movie on the radio. I love anything Orson Welles. I like a lot of the old uh, game shows. I, I like uh, a lot of them. I like uh, many of them, actually. A lot of the old mysteries, Inner Sanctum yeah. Mysteries, for instance. I, mm-hmm. I like a lot of them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I listen to it quite a bit, and I, I love a lot of them, all all different, you know, types of, of programming. But I just think there was a quality to it. In a, it, it was far more, I don't know, it made, made your imagination, you know what I mean, use your imagination I, I, in it. I, yeah, I completely agree with you, uh, Jennifer. And um, it's one of the things that I, I try to do with sound on this show from time to time. And uh, and thanks for the call, Jennifer. And it's one of the reasons, honestly, and, you know, we you can watch the live video stream 
of this show at WABCRadio.tv. Um, it's one of the reasons that I was never really in favor of doing a live video stream of this show uh, because I I really do think radio is about getting people to use their imagination and paint pictures with their mind and um, w- with just words and just sounds. And I think you lose a lot of that when you can uh, when you can watch something. I, I'm you know I'm rem- I'm reminded of. People would always call Rush, and Rush was great on radio, probably the best ever. And he was very, very good on television. He had a a syndicated television show for about five years, and it did well. Didn't do great like his radio show does, but it did well. And he could have continued doing that or some other version. You think he couldn't have gotten a show on Fox News Channel or any, any number of channels. And what he said, and I think he was being sincere, is that when people would talk to him about what he was doing on his radio show, they would always talk to him about something that he said, something that he was, um, you know, something that he had, a topic that he had covered or a joke that he had made or a bit that he had done, something substantive that or an observation that he made. And on television, whenever people would talk to him about television, they would always say, oh, you know what, I really liked your tie. Or that suit didn't quite fit you too well. Or, hey, you know, that lighting was very weird. He found that the people that watched his TV show and would comment on it were um, less likely to have anything substantive to say. 800-848-9222. That's one 800 W.A.B.C. I see a whole bunch of, uh, you know, Ukraine calls. I'm hoping, you know, we can do that next week, uh, next hour, rather, when we have Colonel Wilkerson. So if you want to call about Ukraine, wait till next hour. 800-848-9222. Ray is in Woodhaven. Hello, Ray. Hi, hi Frank. Uh, if you had to, who would you name as your all-time favorite athlete in each of the major sports? Oh, um. That's a great question. So my all-time favorite athlete in each of the major sports. Um, in football, it's, um, I got, it's Steve Young. I loved, loved, loved Steve Young. I rooted for the 49ers the whole time that he was uh, on the 49ers. And b- baseball is tougher because there's so many baseball players that I just loved over the years, including players that played for the Mets and for other teams, but I have to, if I you know what if I had to pick a baseball player, I'm picking Ricky Henderson. I love Ricky Henderson. I love how fast he was. I love how strong he was. I love the way he would swat when he uh, grabbed fly balls. I love how he would engage with the hecklers in the stands. I love his batting stance where he would make his strike zone minuscule. I, I love that he played until he was 70. I loved everything about him. Uh, and I, he was a guy that could instantly change your team. I, I love everything about Ricky Henderson. Uh, basketball, I, look, I followed basketball much less closely, but the era that I most watched basketball, that was the era the Knicks did very well, and a big part of that Knicks team was uh, was Patrick Ewing. So I'm going to say uh, probably Patrick Ewing as a, as a Nick. And then as far as hockey, um, I don't have strong opinions about many hockey players, but I'm going to say probably... 
uh, Mark Messier, because uh, to the extent that I have any fond memories of hockey, it's that 1994 World Championship, that Stanley Cup season that the Rangers had, and Mark Messier was uh, an integral part of that team, and he, he seems like a, a great guy and a, a great hockey player. You want mine real quick? Yeah, give them to me. Football, Sonny Jurgensen. Baseball, Steve Carlton. Basketball, Bill Russell. And hockey, Rajon Houle. Oh, now, I, I don't know player, anything about Rajon Houle. Who did he play for? Montreal Canadiens from 1969 to 83. Interesting. Wasn't that great a player? But what a great name, Rajon Houle. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, in hockey, I also liked, you mentioned having a cool name. I liked Jeff Bukaboom for the same reason. And then I used to like, um, I used to like uh, Craig McTavish just because he'd run around, pl- you know, playing without a helmet. I thought that was uh, pretty, uh, I thought that was pretty tough, even if it wasn't the smartest decision. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. John is in Connecticut. Hello, John. Hey, how are you? Hey, uh, when they phase out um, uh, gas-powered cars, what will they do with the three and a half trillion pounds of metal? And also, uh, when they start cutting off gas, will it be a Mad Max-type society? Uh, That's a good question. Honestly, John, I think we're a long ways away from cutting off gas anytime soon. I I don't think that that's happening, even even with gas getting above five dollars a gallon. I don't think it's I don't think it's likely at all, to be honest. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. As far as what they'll do um, with the metal, I I could only speculate. I don't know. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Karen is in Rockland. Hello, Karen. Hi, Frank. How are you? Um, just uh, are you fine. familiar with Man of La Mancha, the uh, the Impossible Dream? Very Dr. much so. Yes, absolutely. All right now, uh, who has the more impossible dream, Biden, with his green energy, or Putin with his, you know, getting back the old communist regime? Well, I don't think Putin. And again, I'm just going to cut you off, Karen, because your radio is off. Even though I specifically ask people not to put their radio off. I don't think Vladimir Putin wants to uh, rebuild the old communist regime. Uh, Putin's whole career in public life has been defined by being an anti-communist. And the leading opposition party to him in Russia is the Communist Party. And so I don't think he is interested in rebuilding the old communist regime. So as far as uh, the Green New Deal versus uh, rebuilding the old Soviet Union, uh, I would think that uh, the one that's more likely to occur, just because there's one party in control of both houses of Congress and the presidency right now, is Biden. And I think a lot of people might be more likely to go along with something like a Green New Deal when you have, um, you know, when you have gas being priced at what it is. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Phil is in Mendham. Hello, Phil. Hi, Frank. Uh, I need a couple uh, new ideas. I've been using movies to educate my kid and kind of supplement lessons about citizenship and culture. So I use a lot of old movies. I keep them hungry by not giving them a lot of media at the house, you know, games or junk stuff. So my question is, uh, are there some old or new movies that you feel would be essential viewing when your children are old enough to comprehend them? How How old are we talking about? Well, my kid is 10, so you're going to have to wait a while before you put, like, Citizen Kane in front of them, if that was your pick. Well, yeah, uh, I, I guess, I guess, I guess it depends if you're trying to impart a lesson 
or if you're just looking for something, what, what are you looking for exactly, I guess? Well, I think that they're all great entertainment while imparting a lesson. Okay, so uh, many of the old movies. I um uh, the couple that come to mind, and if you ask me tomorrow, I may have a different list. But uh, I think sure. I think Citizen Kane is still good for a ten year old. I think I watched it when I was about ten, and I I loved it. Uh, but uh, I think Amistad is wonderful. It is a pretty accurate reflection of history, and it is great entertainment. Mister Smith goes to Washington, which you might have already shown him. I think that is a yes. great way uh, for teaching about uh, about government and civics. I, I think that's great. I think the um, especially if he's into sports, there's a lot of great baseball movies which impart some great lessons. A uh, couple that also come... that ice hockey movie from 1980. I yeah. think was a good one. Yeah, I actually didn't see that, but I, based on what everybody says, that's true. The miracle on ice. Right. I no, I'm, I'm very... I was going to do the Titans with him, which we haven't done yet. Also, there was Newt Rockney from the 30s. He's seen that one. I totally get what you mean about the sports. Yeah. So um, the the Jackie Robinson movie, 42, I think is very good. Oh, and uh, okay. I, I think there are a lot of other good baseball movies that fit that bill. Um, Field of Dreams comes to mind and, uh, and, and a few others. But um, I like uh, – so in terms of history, I really like Amistad. I love 1776. That's one of my favorite movies of all of all time in terms of uh suspense i really like uh, the spanish prisoner and i don't think there's anything in that film uh, that uh that there's no real not a lot of violence nothing in the way of nudity not a lot of foul language nothing that a 10 year old uh couldn't see in that film uh and and really respond to and uh you know look i think classics like back to the future and ghostbusters are uh, are always a lot of fun for a a ten year old and when you when you're talking about uh, imparting the values of good versus evil and doing what's right I don't think there's a better film than than Star Wars I think Star Wars is a great film uh, for that as well so those are all those are all a few that I like eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 that's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C one open line if you want to jump on board and we are going to give a cap away to whomever comes up with the best question for the hour uh let me say hello to mario in manhattan hello mario thank you uh my two questions are quick uh when the uh a guest is chosen to come on one of the many shows you have is that at the discretion of the moderator of the show or management and would that guest be compensated uh in any way for coming on the monetary leeway uh, no. Yes, and yeah. yeah. Uh, so no, we don't. We've never paid anybody. Um, the the only thing they would get is if they're promoting something. I always offer to promote whatever they're promoting, a book or a movie or a television show or a podcast, whatever. And uh, yeah, all the guests are largely at my discretion. Sometimes John Katsimatidis will say to me, hey, you know, it might be interesting if you interviewed so and so. And he does that really more as as a fan of this show. And it's somebody that uh, has a lot of the same interest that I do, but it's never been a mandate. No, it's, uh, it's basically whatever whoever I'm interested in speaking with. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you, Mario. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Charlie is in Westchester. Hello, Charlie. Yes, hi, Frank. My question to you is, do you think the two-party system is broken? Well, uh, I certainly don't think – I mean, it, 
Uh, it's um, that kind of a, a question. It's broken for who, right? So it does very well for the lobbyists. It does very well for the politicians that benefit from it. It does very well for the special interests uh, like the uh, def- the uh, military industrial complex that benefit from it. But I don't think it serves the the people well. But I, I, I think that, you know, and I've never been a big fan of, of the two-party system, because that's only 50% better than a country like communist China has. But um, what I would say is that I think in America today, we really have a one-party system. 90% of the districts in this country congressionally are one-party districts, where the other party, forget about a third party, the other major party doesn't even really have a chance of competing. And that that is the case on the state legislative level in states like New York as well. So I, I don't even think we have a two-party system. But if we did have a two-party system, I definitely don't think it would be serving the best interests of the, the public very well. No, nor do I. Maybe the problem is that we have too much partisan politics. I, I think that's a I think we have a lot of problems and I think that happens to be one. Uh I think you know, folks have so gotten used to looking at people on the other side of the political aisle as the enemy. And I can't tell you how much of a problem I think that is for society. Um you know, people that don't vote the way you do, they're not the enemy. The people that you might disagree with on nine out of ten issues. But why not work with him or her on the tenth issue? You know, it was interesting. The There was only about, I think there was two Democrats and maybe a, a little more than a dozen Republicans that voted against banning Russian sanctions. Uh, excuse me, banning Russian oil from coming into the United States. But think of it. When else is a conservative Republican like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates on the same side as a liberal Democrat like uh, Cory Bush or I think of the other Democrat that voted against it was Ilhan Omar. It's very rare. But if there's one issue they agree upon, why shouldn't they work together on that issue? So I think um, the and you know what? And I think that the media plays into this significantly. And that's why I really love shows like uh, Michael Smirconish and even shows like Tucker. You know, Tucker does not pretend that just because somebody comes on as a Republican that they're a good guy. And just because somebody's a Democrat that they're a bad guy. He has on um, he had on a Republican uh, congresswoman from Florida the other day, gave her one of the toughest interviews that I've seen any Republican get. Uh, same thing when John Bolton was a national security advisor in the Trump administration. Tucker, who a lot of people thought was a Trump supporter, gave Bolton a much tougher interview than I've seen him get anywhere else. 800-848-WABC. John is in Brooklyn. Hello, John. Good evening, Frank. Okay, two quick questions for you. First one is, what do you think of Captain James T. Kirk appearing in the second season of Star Trek New Frontiers. Now, this is the prequel series to the original series. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't, uh, I have not seen Discovery yet, so I'm thinking that I'm going to have to watch Discovery before I get to New Frontiers. This is a new series that's coming out, I think, in about two or three weeks, but they've already announced for season two that bring back the captain, the character of James T. Kirk, which I understand, but as a captain, 
And this is set five years before the epic voyages on the original series. Yeah. I, so, again, I, I, I guess it all depends on how they handle it, John. If, it, uh, if it's done well and it's done consistent with the original storyline, no issue with it. But if it's done just as sort of a gimmick, then I wouldn't like that at all. 800-848-9222. Patrick is in Huntington. Hello, Patrick. Good morning, Frank. Frank, I know you're a big fan of cheese. Unfortunately, that's true. On, yes. Whether it be on your dashboard for a week or maybe just taken out of your refrigerator. That's right. That's right. Uh, where do you stand on cottage cheese? I love cottage cheese. In fact, I brought um, cottage cheese with me for dinner tonight. I actually oh. find uh, cottage cheese um, delicious, and I love it so many different ways. I um, I love cottage cheese. You know, Nixon's favorite snack was cottage cheese covered with pepper and ketchup. So I tried it that way for a while, and it was not for me. I don't like the, the ketchup really in there. But I still will put some pepper in my cottage cheese from time to time. Sometimes I'll put some fruit in there. I love cottage cheese. And you know what? As far as cheeses go, it is one of the healthier cheeses that you can eat. It's incredibly low in fat. It's very high in protein. It's pretty low calorie. I, I love cottage cheese. I wish we had a cottage cheese sponsor that I could uh, do commercials okay. for. I love cottage cheese. Well, let me ask you, what would you recommend? I'm a, I love cheese, but I just can't, I can't do cottage cheese. What would you... How would you get somebody to, uh, you know? Well, look, entice um, them. I mean, what? I would probably start. They make a bunch of, um, you know, cottage cheeses with with fruit that um, you can kind of take the the fruit. Uh, it's like almost um, uh, like like fruit would be in a can, and you could take the cottage cheese that's in a in a in the fruit and mix it. And they sell those in stores. They sell these little containers. Of um of cottage cheese, I don't remember the brand. I think there's a few different brands of it actually uh, that um th- that combine fruit and cottage cheese. I think that's probably a good a good way to uh, you know, to try okay. it. I think so. And also, you probably wouldn't want to start if you're not fond of cottage cheese as it is. You probably would not want to start with um non-fat cottage cheese. Make sure you have some cottage cheese. That has some fat content to it, so it's it, you don't feel like you're you're eating air. Now, do you, uh, now Breakstone, I think, makes some cottage cheese that comes with the fruit. I think a bunch of other ones do. But do you like regatta cheese? Love it. See, yeah. that's interesting. I find that a lot of the people that don't like cottage cheese also don't like regatta. But I guess the texture and the flavor is a little different. I would say start with some fruit. Start with some fruit, and if you like it that way, uh, enjoy it that way. If you don't uh, like it with the fruit, maybe try the Nixon method. Throw a little pepper and a little ketchup in there. Maybe you'll like it more than I do. Yeah, the pepper sounds. The ketchup sounds a little weird, but I can go with the pepper. Sure. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Give it's it, a, a give it, a, give it a shot, and let us know how you uh, how you like it, Patrick. Thank you. You got it, and try to get that. Uh, you should be able to get somebody to advertise. I mean, you're I, the biggest I, cheese I, guy I, going. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. If you if you're a cottage cheese manufacturer and you want to advertise, uh, email me Frank or anybody else, and you want to advertise. Frank Morano at wabcradio.com. We are the number one overnight radio show in the New York market right now. I would just add that my interest in getting a cottage cheese advertiser is primarily in getting free cottage cheese. We spend a bundle on cottage cheese. My wife has uh, is now buying the generic cottage cheeses at the grocery store. 
So uh, we, we spend a bundle on cottage cheese, and I'm the only person, at least for now, in our household who eats it. Mike is in Manhattan. Hello, Mike. Hello, Frank. Uh, these Cuomo ads that we're seeing on TV now, are they being paid for from his campaign fund? Yes. Now, does that mean that they're considered campaign ads? Uh, well, uh, yes. They're considered a legitimate campaign expense. Yes. I mean, it, I mean it's seems like their their campaign ads for his comeback as governor because supposedly he's only 4 points behind our current governor. Yeah, that's um that's the polling I've seen as well. I don't put too much stock into polling, but I think he could win. I'm going to get into this a little bit next hour, but yeah, they are campaign ads and uh, that's exactly how they're being paid for and how they're being how they're being treated by the network. So it's going to be interesting. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Mike in New Rochelle. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. Uh, before I ask you a question about music, uh, do you have any idea why you guys got booted off of YouTube? The station got uh, terminated. I do, and uh, I will be revealing that at three o'clock as part of denunciations. Okay. As far as the music, uh, I'll explain why I'm asking a question. Sometimes on the weekends, I listen to mix shows on another station where they play a variety of music in an hour or two, and there's no way they could possibly clear all those songs. Why do you guys seem to have a problem with make, clearing certain songs for your shows? Is there a process to, to clear songs for, yeah. for music? Yeah, I mean, we, we can clear, we can license just about any song we want as long as we pay for it, as long as we pay for the rights to it. Uh, that's the guidance from our radio station's attorney. And uh, so basically every day I send a list of songs to Matt hoping that we have some of it in our library uh, that we've already cleared. And uh, then we we request it, and we have to pay, uh, I don't know how much, I think it's, you know, I don't know how much it is, but we have to pay then to get a limited, non-exclusive use of that song. Uh, I can't speak to what other stations do, though, Mike. Great question, though. 800-848-WABC. We'll continue with your questions in just a moment. We will give a cap to whomever comes up with the most creative, most interesting question this hour. 800-222, we are in the midst of a full-fledged Ask Frank Anything. W-A-B-C. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. up and down the track And I hope someday you might be coming back So I wake every morning and pray Today might be the day The train that took you away is gonna bring you back Ah, yes, that's right. A train can run two ways. I don't know that there's anything better than bluegrass. I love bluegrass. I tell you, I'm as urban as can be. I love the five boroughs. I love pavement. I love streets. The farm life is not the life for me. But there's just something about bluegrass that I find so alluring and so much fun. All right, I'm taking your questions on any subject. 800-848-WABC. We are doing... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. And to uh, 
make it a little worth your while coming up with an interesting question. We're going to give a cap to whomever comes up with the most creative question. You can ask questions about anything. Film, television, books, business, radio, the business of radio, cocktails. You need advice about something? I'll give it to you. My personal history, pro gambling, Atlantic City, local politics, restaurants, New York, the criminal justice system, aliens, the mob, hypothetical questions, my personal preferences, relationships, baseball, the culture at large, religion, or even foreign policy. Let me squeeze in one or two email questions here because I've been negligent in not getting to them. Anna writes... Hi, Frank. If you get to any email questions tonight, it seems that you prepare for your shows way more than other talk show hosts. Do you agree? And why do you think that is? Well, I don't know that I prepare more. You know, um, Bernard McGurk actually prepares a great deal. He prepares for hours. And uh, all the audio that you hear on the Bernie and Sid show, I think 90% of that, maybe more, is all selected by Bernie, and uh, that's all part of show prep. So Bernie prepares a lot. He's writing out things that he wants to say. Bernie prepares a lot, and believe it or not, Curtis actually prepares a lot. I don't think he prepares as much for the overnight show as much as he did when he was doing the morning show or some other shifts that he's done because I think he kind of likes the the raw feel of uh, of of an overnight show. I, I can't speak to uh, Greg Kelly's level of preparation and, um, you know, I don't really know about uh, what most of the other folks do. Um, Howard Stern is, used to do, uh, and I'm sure still does, an enormous amount of show prep. He used to prepare about two hours for every one hour that he was on the air. That's why I think his interviews are so effective. So um, as far as I think different hosts just have different styles. I used to, uh, you know, I am very good friends with Brian Whitman, and he used to let me hang around with him when he was doing his shows, and I'd ride the elevator up with him at Two Penn Plaza, and he'd see the little factoids on the elevator, and he he would say that was his version of show prep, just seeing what was on the elevator. And um, some hosts, uh, Mark Simone falls in this category, uh, Sid Rosenberg, I would say Brian Whitman, are gifted enough that they don't need to prepare as much as I do. Uh, but... Uh, I guess, I don't know. So different people have different styles. 800-848-9222. Gina is in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina. Hi, Frank. Frank, I want to hop on a bus and go to Atlantic City, but I haven't been there in years. So I'd like to know from you three or four places to spend the day that I should see. What do you like to do? Okay, I want to eat Italian. That's not ridiculous expensive. I want to play roulette, and I want to hear live music. All right, so you want, okay. So um, if you want to eat Italian, uh, there's some great Italian restaurants in, uh, in Atlantic City. Uh, it's t- how, is it just you, or are you going with a friend? Well, it could be either or, but I'm going to go whether I can find someone to come with me or not. Okay. So um, the, the, a great old-school Italian restaurant in Atlantic City is Chef Vola. That's not in a casino. It's tough to get into, but if it's just you and one or two other people, then I think you might want to try um you might want to try Chef Vola. A newer spot that my wife and I really enjoyed is uh Jerry Longo's Meatballs and Martinis at Bally's. Now, Bally's Casino is just okay. Um 
But it's right up the boardwalk from Hard Rock. If you want to see live music, the place to do it is at the Hard Rock. They have live music in the lobby bar, and they have a different style of live music at the uh, at the Council Oak, which is uh, also a good restaurant, but it's a little it's a little pricey. If you don't mind the price, my, my favorite Italian restaurant, maybe my favorite restaurant in all of Atlantic City, but certainly my favorite Italian restaurant. I've never been to this one that everyone talks about twenty eight twenty five, but my favorite Italian restaurant in Atlantic City is Il Molino at the Hard Rock. Now. I can't even mention the words Il Molino to my wife because she gets so upset about how pricey it is. She feels it's a waste of money. But um, if you if you want something that's a better value, Capriccio at Resorts is um, is very good. And I, I've actually never been to Hirasol, uh, which is right near there as well. It's G-I-R-A-S-O-L-E. But a lot of people whose opinions I trust say that's their favorite Italian restaurant. But if you're talking... In a casino, Il Molino at the Hard Rock is great. And um, at the uh, at Bally's, you have uh, Jerry Longo's Meatballs and Martinis, which is very good. It's affordable. It's quality Italian food. You're able to get a reservation, no problem. And Capriccio at Resorts is, is very, very good. Angeline, which is at Borgata, I find to be a little overrated. Borgata also offers live music in the uh, the area known as the Gypsy Bar. I find it to be a little loud. Uh, the Borgata did just add a piano player uh, at the lobby bar, not just, but maybe 10 months ago. It's new for me because I haven't been there in forever. So it's a fun place to have a drink at the lobby bar and, um, you know, and, and watch the, the folks in the piano. So uh, I um, the problem with going to the Borgata, which does have an Italian restaurant, it does have live music, is that you're so far removed from everything. If you went to a spot like the Hard Rock, you could get your live music and you're close to everything. My friend I was with uh, yesterday, actually. She sings at the Hard Rock every weekend. She's great. She does a great job there. And there's a lot of different types of live music. The um, And they have a, a couple of different options in terms of, uh, of dining. As far as roulette goes... Um, they all offer roulette, right? So it all depends on uh, what what the table minimums are. I think uh, I think both Hard Rock. Um, it depends on when you go. If you go during the week, you may have some casinos that still will have only a five dollar minimum for roulette. But uh, on the weekend, it's gotten so crowded there. At least during the summer, it was that uh, I think they may make the minimums fifteen dollars. But Gina. Email me at uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com, and I'll give you some other recommendations to help plan your trip. Thank you, Frank. I took notes. Great. Wonderful. Email me anyway. We'll we'll correspond more. James is in Indiana. Hello, James. Hello. Hello. Um, St. Patrick's Day is my favorite day, but... Um, I was... I really enjoy your show, and I really enjoy... Dominique Carter show. Wonderful. Uh, you got good taste. Um, Curtis, uh, I'm not sure. As I said, you have good taste. But anyway, I was wondering, um, Data or Spock? Spock. I'm Spock all the way through. I love them both, but I love that Scott, Spock was constantly battling uh, between the human side of him and the Vulcan side of him, and I think uh, that reflected in everything that he did. I'm a Spock guy. Love Data, but I'm a Spock guy. Don in Amityville. Hello, Don. Hey, uh, Frank. It's Don. Actually, Coney Island, Don, but I'm from Amityville. Ah, anyway. Good to know. Uh, <laughs> how you doing, brother? 
Good. Uh, okay, I got a presidential question for you. I just came to my head, and mm-hmm. I'm kind of a wax guy, so here we go. Um, there are two two presidents. One is considered the first uh, bachelor president. The second, the most unluckiest president. And if you took the uh, first one I mentioned, the bachelor, and you put it over the unluckiest, what would that improper fraction be? Well, so I I get the bachelor president was James Buchanan. Um, Correct. The uh, unluckiest, I guess you're talking about William Henry Harrison, right? No, no. Well, I would characterize William Henry Harrison as pretty unlucky. That'd be nebulous. I, I guess my question is nebulous, but may I give you my answer? Sure. Millard Fillmore, number 13. <laughs> okay, that's very funny. That's well, that, very funny. So the improper fraction would be 15 thirteenths. Uh, uh, I'm not one for math, Don, but I love the, uh, I love the thought there. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Let's try and squeeze in one more question here. Um, let's see. We got uh, Jimmy in Staten Island. What's your question, Jimmy? Hi, Frank. Good evening. Happy St. Patrick's Day belated. I hope it was enjoyable. I ate like a gavon. Um, what I'd like to know, just one thing fast, uh, friendship cottage cheese with pineapple. I've been eating it since I'm about 20, 21. I'm mm-hmm. 59. It's delicious. And the regatta, I put on toast with tomatoes, a little salt, pepper, and buzzing You can't beat it. Okay, now, I only have a minute here, Jimmy. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I just want to know, what, did you hear anything more about this uh, earthquake in Japan, 7.9, uh, about the nuclear plants that were shaken? And uh, is there any impending tsunamis? Yeah, that's uh, a good question. That's one of the first things that I look like. Uh, they're saying no suma- tsunami is expected, at least in California. But uh, it is serious. Ninety seven people injured, four deaths reported. And uh, we're keeping an eye on that. I saw that it was a 7.3, but if they upped it to a 7.9, that's not something that I know about. Uh, I was negligent in the email. Mike writes, have you seen The Handmaid's Tale or read the book? No, uh, I have not. And uh, do we have time for one more? No, I don't think we do. All right. Molly and Matt, you have a pick for today's edition of Best Question. Patrick in Huntington. Patrick in Huntington. Call back and we will give you a complimentary The Other Side of Midnight Baseball Cap. And uh, if you weren't lucky enough to ask a good question, then you can still buy one at WABCRadioStore.com. That's WABCRadioStore.com. You can also email me if you had a question that we didn't get to, frank.morano at WABCRadio.com. Maybe when we go through your letters on Tuesday morning, We'll give you, uh, I'll answer your question there. So you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Coming up in just a bit, we're going to talk with retired Army Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson. He was Colin Powell's chief of staff when Powell was secretary of state. And when he was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he's got a lot to say about this Ukraine situation. And uh, there's a number of other stories that I'm going to bring to your attention. We've got denunciations coming your way. And Marlena Shivo. We'll be here at 4 o'clock as well. Very much looking forward to that. Until next hour, in the words of the great Barry Farber, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. A couple of uh, items that I want to get to uh, before we get to Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, who's coming up in about 20 minutes. One, um, the, the this story just drives me crazy. I had it on my list for about two weeks. Uh, I figured let me comment on it before it continues to fester and and continue to make me upset. An award-winning HIV researcher has been essentially forced to apologize for dressing up as Michael Jackson. Uh, Dr. Julie Overbow was an award-winning senior vice president at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center and a faculty member at the University of Washington Medical Center. She's known for her research on HIV in Kenya. She is one of the top researchers in all of of, uh, HIV field, in that field. A brilliant woman, an incredibly accomplished woman. And now her career is being ruined over a costume. Nearly 13 years ago, Dr. Overbow attended the party at a lab at this Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center. And the theme of the party, I want you to keep in mind what I'm about to say, the theme of the party was Michael Jackson's album, Thriller. But after a photo of her costume was anonymously emailed to senior leadership at the University of Wisconsin and the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center, she has been forced to undergo, quote, an intensive education process. The photo immediately triggered an internal investigation at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center where she was placed on administrative leave. Are you crazy? Are you kidding me? A world-renowned HIV researcher has been placed on administrative leave for wearing a Michael Jackson costume to a Michael Jackson-themed party 13 years ago? Is there, has there ever been a time where it's been more important to have people that know what they're talking about researching deadly diseases? And we're going to place her on leave because she wore a costume not last week, not 13 days ago, 13 years ago. The Fred Hutchinson released a statement labeling the costume, quote, racist. The institution offered our sincere, a sincere apologies to anyone who has experienced pain or upset because of the act or this photo. Though the incident did not occur at University of Washington Medicine, its CEO and equity officer also weighed into this nonsensical controversy. The CEO of UW Medicine, Dr. Paul Ramsey, and the chief equity officer, Paula Houston, notified UW Medicine staff in an email that Overbaugh was punished for engaging in the racist, dehumanizing, and abhorrent act of blackface. During a separate formal review process, the email confirmed 
Overbaugh resigned from her UW affiliate and faculty member appointment. She released a statement, Dr. Overbaugh released a statement uh, that said, quote, I did not know the association of this with blackface at the time in 2009, but understand the offense that is associated with this now. I have apologized for this both publicly and privately, and beyond that, have no other comments. I, I find this story cringeworthy. I find this drives me crazy. This is, I don't like to repeat cliches, especially overused cliches like cancel culture, but this is textbook cancel culture. This is why I'm not for canceling anybody. For uh, I'm not for canceling anybody for anything. I don't think anybody should be blackballed because find a case to be made to blackball something, somebody. Now, are we going to look into what all of the other doctors who are researching HIV have ever worn as co- as Halloween costumes? Are we going to see if they've ever said anything that people have found offensive? Clearly, this woman was targeted by someone, probably a jealous colleague, who ratted her out internally. This is nuts. 800-848-WABC if you disagree. And, by the way, Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, towards the last 20 years of his life or so, looked white. I mean, that's a whole separate discussion as to why he looked white. Michael Jackson, and I'm not a dark-complected male. I always, I was, always wished my skin was a little darker. Like my dad, he's very you know, lovely olive complexion. I don't have that. That being said, Michael Jackson's skin is far lighter than my skin. And they're going to say that because she wore a Michael Jackson costume, she was engaging in blackface? This is so stupid. <sighs> Comment as you see fit. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Also, another story here that uh, uh, I, this this is not a cancel culture story, but I'm not sure where else to mention it. So let me at least mention this here. Because of what we're seeing inflation, there's one sector that has been particularly hard hit, and it is having a price impact on consumers Big time. Lobster. Lobster, lobster, lobster. It is what Axios is referring to as lobsterflation. Lobster prices have soared so much that restaurants are either giving their customers sticker shock or they're taking it off the menu completely. The lobster price shock is not just a supply problem or a demand problem. It's both. And it's a microcosm in many ways of the whole U.S. economy. Maine lobstermen were able to sell their catch straight off the boat for $6.71 a pound in 2021, according to the Maine Department of Marine Resources. That's 2021, $6.71 a pound. That is up 59% over the pandemic depressed level of 2020 and 39% up over 2019. This price increase has coincided with rising supply. The problem was just that the um the problem was just that supply didn't rise enough to keep up with high demand. 
the 108 million pounds of lobster that landed in Maine last year was comfortably higher than the 102 million pounds in 2019, though well below the earlier levels of the 2010s. So now restaurants are being forced to adapt. Washingtonian Magazine reported that this means $100 for a two-pound lobster at the D.C. Steakhouse, the Prime Rib. The Salt Line Restaurant, also in D.C., I believe, has cut lobster rolls from the menu entirely and replaced them with shrimp and clam rolls. This is what the partner, Jeremy Caraman, told the Washingtonian. Lobster rolls just aren't meant to be that expensive. It's almost embarrassing to pass that cost to our our guests. Now, I like lobster, but, you know, lobster, it's good, but I, I don't think lobster is is great to justify the exorbitant price tag. It's, you know, it's a nice meal to have. I remember around 2006, for whatever reason, whatever was happening in the the seafood economy at that time, the price of lobster was exceptionally cheap. And there was actually a lot of places where you could buy lobster for a cheaper price than you could buy hot dogs. So I was eating a lobster like crazy back then. But now I I am, I'm not going to pay. You know, I was at a diner last night, a diner. They were charging $47 for some lobster tails. Now these are, I'm sure, frozen lobster tails. I'm not paying $47 for twin lobster tails at a diner. Frozen, no less. I can't imagine... A lot of the nice seafood restaurants that I like to go to in Cape May with their children. So I am bothered by this lobsterflation, and I hope this is something that we're able to uh, get our get our hands around quickly. Uh, thoughts, observations, comments, 800-842-222. That is 1-800-848-WABC. Last question I'll mention. So if you want to comment on either lobsterflation or this poor HIV researcher being canceled, now's the time, 800-848-9222. Last story I'll mention before we get to... Uh, your calls and Colonel Wilkerson is this. Are you familiar with the the metaverse? So the metaverse, those of you that are under a certain age will be familiar with it. Those of you that are older, uh, basically the metaverse is a version of virtual reality. And everybody, the big tech companies, um, uh, investors, everybody is betting that eventually we're all going to be plugged in to the metaverse. A movie that does a good job explaining the metaverse is a film called Ready Player One. That's a that's a good job that it's a film that I think does a good job explaining the metaverse for laymen. So basically, you log on to these virtual worlds, Second Life or whatever else there. There's a lot of different versions of it, and you can you you're an avatar. Uh, Instead of me being Frank Morano in real life, I'm Frank Morano, and I can visit virtual stores, and I can uh, buy virtual sneakers for my avatar. Now, the Frank Morano in real life doesn't get to uh, wear it, but I put on my headset, and I go into the the Metaverse Nike store. I double-click, and I could buy for 10 bucks some, you know, some sneakers that my avatar gets to wear. And then some Metaverse stores actually let you have the option of buying a pair uh, for in real life and a pair in the Metaverse if you want your avatar to look like you. 
And I just read this um, this story on Drudge. It's actually from The Sun that uh, of this fellow who visited Heineken's virtual brewery in the metaverse. And he describes a metaverse feast where they you, you can actually eat lobster and gold in the metaverse. They have edible gold in the metaverse. So a lot of people are betting that we're all going to be in the metaverse soon. I, in fact, I have a friend that is building out a metaverse Staten Island. And he's going to let everybody buy their address where they live for, I think, $20. And then after that, your ad- I think there's a like a two-month period where you could buy your address for $20. And then after that, you can um, spend $40 and buy other people's properties and, and build whatever you want on there. For instance, I told my friend that's doing this, and it's not available yet, but I'll keep you posted when this happens. I told my friend that's doing this, I want to buy my address because I don't, I'm don't. i not a virtual reality guy. I don't spend any time in the metaverse. But if something happens where we all have to migrate to the metaverse, then I will, um, you know, I'd like to at least have my house, not have somebody else own my house and kick me out of the my meta house. And, you know, it's kind of cool things you could do. Maybe I'd bring a, build a ping pong stadium in the backyard. It's not something I'm able to do in real life, but it might be fun to do in the metaverse. So there was this interesting article in the real estate section of the New York Post, and I'm going to link to it on my Facebook page. You could read it at facebook.com slash Fan. And a whole bunch of New Yorkers are now spending hundreds of millions of dollars on real estate in the metaverse. Now, understand what this means. This is fake real estate. You can't visit and put your hands and feet on any of the property that people are buying. But these folks are spending all sorts of money. Sales of real estate in the metaverse, which are just digital renderings of properties located on one of the four major platforms, the four major virtual platforms, topped $500 million last year. And celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Paris Hilton, Justin Bieber, they've all purchased property in the metaverse. And just like in the real world, they're now attracting star-crazed neighbors. One buyer recently shelled out $450,000 in real money to own the virtual property next to Snoop Dogg. A real-life four-bedroom house in Gulfport, Florida, recently sold for $653,000 as a non-fungible token, or NFT, making it the first physical home to be sold this way. And it gets into, I link to it, read the whole thing. This digital real estate craze has gained so much momentum that now mainstream investors and real estate companies are getting into the business. But is virtual real estate the ultimate new play, the best investment that somebody that wants to invest in real estate but not spend a million dollars can get into right now, or are these investors getting played themselves? What do you think? Would you buy real estate in the metaverse? 800-848-9222. The New York Post quotes this financial district resident, Samuel Arnold, who invested 
just $294 in three plots of virtual land that are now valued at $59,000 just a few months later. So he could sell these three properties and make a $59,000 profit. So I'm thinking that not only am I going to buy my house in the metaverse, but I'm going to, if my neighbors don't buy their house, I'm going to buy their houses too. Maybe I'll build a giant mansion or like a, a five, uh, you know, five-acre mansion. Or maybe I'll just buy it as a, like a, 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 a speculation. I don't know. All right, a couple of quick calls, and then we're going to get to Colonel Wilkerson. Tom, let me begin with you in Cincinnati, Ohio. Hello, Tom. Hey, how you doing? I'll hang on. Let me check. I think I'm doing all right. All right. Um, I, I'm 77 years old, and uh, statistically, in my, my gene pool was in their 80s, and unfortunately, well into their 80s. Um, a good friend of mine who's now 90 said getting old isn't for sissies. <laughs> she hit the she hit the nail squarely on the head. I've never had a health issue in my entire life. I've given up shellfish because it's just not worth it. All right. Well, shellfish, especially lobster, is actually not that bad for you unless you drown it in butter, which... A lot of us do. Or if you have uh, a lobster roll, you'd slather it in either butter or mayonnaise, depending on if you like the main roll or the Connecticut roll. But the, the lobster itself is not that bad for you, actually. 800-848-9222. Tony is in the Bronx. Hello, Tony. Hey, Frank. How are you? You know, I wanted to originally speak about the increase in price uh, of, of lobster. But uh, as I listened to your show and you were speaking about the uh, the uh, the virtual uh, real estate and also about the, uh, you know, the uh, Bitcoin and this uh, NFTs. You know, I, I believe, you know, we, uh, first of all, I think eventually it should be going by the wayside. But I'm wondering, what's the what's the impetus behind this? Is it is it to devalue the dollar? Uh, there's just something there that just doesn't ring true to me. And I think if we all look deep down inside, uh, there is something wrong with this. It, it doesn't seem right, and if it smells too fishy, uh, there's got to be something wrong with it, and I, I wouldn't trust it. Well, maybe you're right. Uh, maybe you're right, Tony. Uh, we'll see. Uh, look, only time will tell. Who knows? You know, there's all sorts of things that were supposed to be innovative and catch on that never caught on. Uh, Laserdisc comes to mind. Esperanto comes to mind. We did a whole segment on that, actually, on things that were supposed to be great but weren't. Maybe the metaverse falls in that category, or maybe we'll look at these people spending, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on digital real estate and think, oh, gee, I wish I would have done. I mean, imagine if you would have bought Bitcoin at a thousand dollars. Imagine, imagine the position you'd be in right now. But if people were scoffing at Bitcoin, oh, it's meaningless. It's not backed by anything. It's such a digital creation. Who knows? Corey's in Brooklyn. Hello. Hello, Frank. Um, the thing about real estate is it's real estate, like you can put your feet on it. So what the heck would you do with a um, fake ping pong table? Like you couldn't actually play ping pong on it, right? I don't get the idea. What's... Well, you could play ping pong in the metaverse. On the computer? 
or on your virtual reality headset. Like, picture this. Let's say we get another outbreak of uh, coronavirus or something that's 10 times worse with coronavirus. Coronavirus basically had less than 1% fatality rate. Let's say we're talking something like Ebola, which has a, a substantially higher mortality rate. And we have to go into another lockdown. And people aren't able to see their families again. Well, they could... In the metaverse, they all go, instead of going to my dad's house for Christmas Eve, the 50 people that go to my dad's house every Christmas Eve, they all put on these virtual reality headsets and they go into a digital rendering of his house. And my brother Alexander and I, just as we would normally play ping pong in real life, we play it in the metaverse. So, look, that's an oversimplistic explanation, which I'm I'm giving just for the sake of time, just because we have uh, Colonel Wilkerson standing by uh those of you that are holding if you want to continue to hold i will get to your calls you want to call back that's fine too uh colonel lawrence wilkerson former chief of staff to colin powell joins me straight ahead wabc this is the other side of midnight with frank morano 77 wabc This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, I have been waiting to interview our next guest for many, many years. He knows American foreign policy and American military policy inside and out. He's a retired United States Army colonel, former chief of staff to United States Secretary of State Colin Powell. But since retiring from the military, he has criticized many different aspects of American foreign policy, including the Iraq War, which a lot of people believe Colin Powell's presentation to the U.N. actually helped sell to the American public, as well as a lot of other different aspects of American foreign policy, not only in the Middle East, but around the world. Uh, it gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome Lieutenant Colonel, excuse me, uh, give me a great deal of pleasure to welcome Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson. Colonel, it's a, a great pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Good to be with you. And let me just add that I was also his special assistant when he was chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And with regard to the Ukraine crisis, that's probably a more enlightening experience, if you will, than any other. The uh, I can imagine. So give me your view of the situation as it stands now. We saw the speech that uh, President Zelensky gave to Congress. He has a lot of people um, in support. It seems more people than ever in support of American American help establishing a no fly zone over Ukraine or short of that, at least giving the Ukrainians the weapons that they need in order to set up a no fly zone themselves. How do you view the situation as it stands now? A no-fly zone, as Secretary Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, has pointed out dramatically, would be a non-starter in my view. It would be a provocation to war, and that would be a provocation to what uh, we talked about yesterday at a meeting downtown. My first meeting in Washington in two years in person uh, with some Soviet experts, Russian experts now, um, that would probably be uh, a lead into a nuclear exchange that might start, very realistically might start, with a low-yield tactical nuclear weapon, which is now published doctrine for the Russian military that they will use such a weapon in Kiev or someplace like that. 
We don't want that because that leads to far greater destruction, maybe even a general use of nuclear weapons over 44 million people in Ukraine. That would be like, in very brutal military realist terms, 44 million people and their duress bringing the rest of the world into nuclear catastrophe. So I am very happy that Joe Biden is president of the United States right now, understands that progression of events and is going to do all he can to prevent it. That said, Ukraine is a tragedy, and it's a Vladimir Putin-introduced uh, tragedy. The heads of the Ukrainian head and the Russian head of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which published its most devastating report on 28 February, summed it up quite well. Well, brave man, the Russian head of delegation, I wonder if he's still alive, if he went back to Moscow. He, he condemned his own leader's invasion and said, this is distracting. Look at what we're doing. Mm. We're fighting in Ukraine essentially over the fossil fuels that are going to destroy us all. He's right. And the Ukrainian head of delegation, of course, echoed his thoughts. That's the, the essence of this tragedy in language writ large across the globe. It distracts us from more important crises, tragic as it is. It's not anything more than a transient event in and of itself. The bigger crises are staring us in the face. What, what, what do you think the bigger crises are at the moment? Well, the, the two that bother me every day are the two we talked about yesterday, nuclear weapons. And now we have Russian published military doctrine that they will use tactical nuclear weapons. This is a first since nuclear weapons were invented. Um, we have reposted, if you will, under Donald Trump. We started a trillion-dollar-plus rehabilitation of our nuclear weapons. One of the purposes is to build a weapon that will counter that weapon for the, from the Russians, and that's the reason we abandoned the Intermediate, Intermediate Nuclear Force Treaty, the, the really powerful treaty that eliminated a whole sector of nuclear weapons is now gone, and we can build those weapons again. So that's an incredible danger. We've forgotten all the things we learned during the Cold War, the most important point of which was that if we start a nuclear exchange, we're ending human life on this planet. And that's why Biden is so concerned about taking on the Russians directly in Ukraine. Uh, the second crisis is the one I just talked about, the climate crisis. Mm. Read that report. Even the summary, which has to be approved by every nation, but the technical section in particular, which is really down to the nitty-gritty, if we go to a 1.5 or a 2.0 world, which we're headed at, that is degrees centigrade rise in temperature, we're going to find it extremely difficult to live. At a 2.0 increase, we're going to find it very difficult, if not impossible, to live in many regions of the world, including the Levant, uh, Middle East, North Africa, uh, probably South America, and so forth. Um, if we go past that, human life, beyond mid-century is going to be harder and harder and then impossible. And we are very likely headed for three or four degree rise. So those two crises are crises we should be dealing with yesterday. Uh, keeping in mind the Ukraine situation and the first crisis that you just alluded to, I, I would imagine that means you're probably not in favor of working with the Polish government to help facilitate their transfer of MiGs to Ukrainian military pilots. 
That's a different matter now. Um, I think that would probably exacerbate more than help the situation, but it's a different matter. I don't think that's as precipitous as it would be if the U.S. were to introduce itself directly into the conflict, like establishing a no-fly zone. Diplomacy is the only way you're really going to end this thing and end it in some way that's livable with and not leading to some of these other deeper crises. And diplomacy has all manner of ways it can go if some very astute people are involved in it. And there are some people like that in the world. I'm not sure we got any in this country, but there are some in Europe. There's some in Germany and France, and there's some in Russia. Sergei Lavrov is one of them, as much as we might despise him. He's a superb diplomat. Wang Yi from China could be called in on this because I think China is looking at this now with a very, very bifurcated view They're too close to Putin and everything Putin is doing right now. And what he's doing is making himself a world pariah, an outcast. He's going to reflect on Xi Jinping as the party Congress is coming up. And as he's trying to establish his lifelong rule, the Politburo might have some second thoughts and third thoughts even about letting him go for another term. Indeed, letting him go to his his natural death, because they're seeing what it means for Russia right now with Putin. It's easy to envision Xi Jinping becoming that kind of person as he stays in power endlessly. So China could be an intermediary here. There are diplomatic ways out of this. It would mean Ukraine would have to uh, probably surrender autonomy at least, if not all control over some of its oblasts. It might mean that that corridor the Russians have carved out, just short of Odessa right now along the Black Sea, might have to be surrendered. But it would in the conflict, and it would give them something they could live with. Maybe there'd be some low-level guerrilla warfare going on in those places. I suspect there would, because there are people who won't accept it. But you could handle that. You could work with that. So the only way to really get out of this crisis in a way that doesn't threaten much larger interests is through diplomacy. We're talking with uh, Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, retired U.S. Army colonel, distinguished adjunct professor of government and public policy at the College of William and Mary and former chief of staff to Colin Powell. You mentioned the China situation. A lot of folks uh, in our audience, and I've heard a lot of pundits on television and radio raise this concern as well, are concerned that China may use sort of the chaos that is is engulfing the international community at this moment as an opportunity to seize Taiwan. Now, the Chinese are saying that's not going to happen. The Taiwanese are saying that's not going to happen. How do you view the China situation as it relates to Taiwan in the present crisis? That's always a concern as long as Xi Jinping is in charge of China, because he's made some very forceful statements about uh, reestablishing Chinese uh, hegemony. And he's made statements that even would lead one to believe, indirectly at least, that he might be willing to use force to do that. But for the reasons I just stated, I think it would be very precarious for him to do that right now because that would a precipitate move like that would confirm in many of the minds in China, but particularly those on the Politburo, that uh, he's as dangerous as Putin. Um, I don't think there's a real appetite in China for using force. They know they're going to be ultimately preponderant in the region. They are already for all practical purposes. They know that the 23 million people on Taiwan working with them in some sort of cross-strait enterprise, which is what they've been doing, uh, half of the money coming from 
Taiwan's interest is shared with China and vice versa because of all the contacts they have across strait. So it'd be, it would be disruptive if something were to happen there. And I think it would mar Xi's career majorly. It might even end his, room, his reign. Um, the Chinese... The Chinese have a a more a more uh, variable leadership than we think. Even with Xi Jinping being, you know, declared self-declared uh, a dictator for life, I think they would probably get alarmed at that, and they would probably ease him out. Um, so I, I think he's going to be very circumspect about that. Now there is one aspect of this that China savors, and that is that. And we don't realize how this affected them. When President Obama announced the pivot to Asia, people in this country said, oh, well, we didn't pivot. Well, we did pivot. If you look at what we've done militarily and otherwise, we did pivot, and that alarmed China. So this Ukraine crisis has refocused us on Europe for however long a period, but nonetheless, it's done it. So Beijing's breathing a sigh of relief right now. And probably would, in one way, want to see this crisis continue and maybe even deepen so long as it doesn't mm. go to nuclear warfare because they lose on that, too. But uh, it does take our attention off Asia and put it back on Europe. We, we see a lot of the images coming out of Ukraine, and a lot of Americans are very sympathetic to these Ukrainians that are being killed and a lot of these Ukrainians that are losing their homes, forced to flee their country. And I, I think it's only natural that a lot of Americans feel the need to want to do something, whether it's something charitable and donating to an aid organization or something public policy-wise. And it, yesterday, the uh, you know the government announced, our government announced, that they were going to be ramping up what we were going to be sending to the Ukrainians in the form of military aid. Is that going to be helpful? Is that going to help fewer Ukrainians be killed? Or is that only going to prolong a crisis that the Ukrainians have no hope of winning? Well, it certainly is at this point in time and would more so in the future if what you're talking about comes about. We give them more anti-tank missiles, for example. Well, uh, President Biden's indicated Russians. that we are, right? I mean, he's yeah, indicated it's, hurt, we are. it's hurting the Russians. There's no question about that. They've lost far more armor, particularly tanks and soldiers, than they ever envisioned they would. I'm afraid that doesn't mean much to Putin. Being a member of the bureaucracy that he was, the KGB and the spy service, if you will, he has a disdain for the military. He really doesn't. Typically, Russian leaders have a disdain for death in their military. Look at Stalin, two million plus he lost in the Great War. Um They don't have any problem with sacrificing their youth, but the youth has a problem with being sacrificed. And with social media and all the rest we have today, there are probably a lot of this conscript youth in Ukraine right now who are asking themselves, what the hell am I doing here? Why am I doing this? These people I'm attacking, some of them speak Russian. Some of them confront me in the street and ask me why I'm in their country. I was told this was an exercise. I was told this was something we needed to do, et cetera, et cetera. There are real problems in the Russian ranks right now. So anything that you can do on the ground to help the Ukrainians defend themselves is going to give the Russians a lot of trouble. But you need to be negotiating at the time you're doing this. You don't need, as Sun Tzu well said, you don't need to back your enemy into a corner from whence he has no escape, because that makes your enemy desperate. So while you're doing all of this, checkmating them, if you will, on the ground, you need to be talking, that using that 
performance on the ground to bring some kind of pressure so that you can achieve a diplomatic solution to the problem and stop the crisis in its in its most tragic form. What do you think a uh, some sort of a settlement? Let me, let me say one Please. other thing. Uh, the, the humanitarian assistance is absolutely what should be going on. We should be helping refugees. We should be helping uh, children. Uh, we should be helping people to get out of the, the war zone, as it were. We should be doing all of these sorts of things. And the Europeans should, too, because they're a lot closer to it than we are. What do you think a diplomatic solution would look like, whether it's something negotiated by the United States or something negotiated by the uh, Israeli prime minister who seems to be taking the lead in terms of being a mediator between the two countries? What would it look like? Well, let me say something about that. Bennett is just trying to get Israel out of its own pariah status that Netanyahu's long reign put it into. He'd do anything to get to make Israel look better. I'm not sure he's really doing any kind of negotiating at all that's worthwhile. He's getting a lot of publicity for Israel. Um, but what a solution might look like would be something akin to what the Minsk agreement tried to do. Everybody violated it on both sides, but... It would be allowing Putin to hold on to those regions that he thinks are so essential to him, principally those two oblasts uh, in the eastern section of Ukraine, which he virtually owned before he even invaded. And what I would like to see is some kind of referendum worked out so that in all the places that Putin was allowed to stay or some Russian force was allowed to stay or influence was allowed to be established, there's a referendum. And you find out what the people want. And it probably couldn't be immediately because now even the Russians in those sections would probably vote against Putin. But you want to have something like that eventually confirm the agreement that you set in place where the people in those areas actually vote and by majority vote say, yes, we'd like to be associated with Russia. But there'd be some autonomy, too. They'd be autonomous from Ukraine, Kiev, the government in Kiev, and also they'd be autonomous from Moscow to a certain extent. And then you just work out the deals like that with the rest of the terrain that by force majeure the Russians actually own at the end when you're negotiating. And you could live with that. And the Ukrainians could live with that. You, as I said, you might have low-level guerrilla warfare because there are some Ukrainians who simply aren't going to live with it, like the neo-Nazis. Um, but you could probably get it down to the level where you could live with it and, and, and you wouldn't have such a disturbance in the very heart of Europe. Um, that's the kind of deal you're going to have to work out. And if Putin doesn't want to do that, then we're going to have to give him his his incredible defeat because that's what he's going to have. He's not going to control this 44-million-person country bigger than Texas. He's simply not. It's going to be Russia's second Afghanistan. And that's worrisome, too, because when Russia starts collapsing economically, financially, even even with its people moving into the streets despite the imprisonment and everything, Putin's going to fall. Now, when you make someone that desperate and you make someone like Putin desperate, watch out. I, I can imagine. Yeah, that's uh, certainly uh, a, a degree of unpredictability that uh, we certainly don't need at the moment. You know, when here's I was a scary, here's a scary thing from the Russian experts who were at the meeting I attended yesterday. This is not like Brezhnev. This is not like Andropov. This is not like Gorbachev. Even this is not like the Kremlin of old. What what Putin has around him are people who are scared to even think about deposing him 
because the moment they think that way and turn to someone else whose help they might need, that person will turn them in. Mm. That's how tight the group is around Putin, and that's how obesant they are to him. When I've pointed out that I think some sort of a diplomatic solution would look like basically what Putin has indicated are the conditions for him ending this war, which is recognition of Russian uh, control of Crimea and independence for the Donbass republics while Ukraine swears off joining NATO in the future. A lot of folks say, well, we can't go along with that because that gives Putin what he wants for invading a neighboring country. And that would only embolden him to do that again in other countries in the region. What do you say to that argument that you can't. Other countries, yeah, other countries in the region are NATO members or near NATO members, like Finland. Um, if you do it to them, an attack on one is an attack on all. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to have to say this, but we now have 29 other nations, including Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, and Montenegro, whom the American people are signed up to risk nuclear war over. Mm. That's the reality of this wild abandon with which we've expanded NATO. Now, you ask some Texan if he knows where Montenegro is, and he'll laugh at you and say, no, sorry, show it to me on a map. And then you, when you tell that Texas rancher out there in West Texas that he signed up for nuclear war to defend that country, he's going to laugh your ass off. Yeah, and I that's can tell. That, that's what we've done. And I can tell you here in New York, uh, there's not a lot of uh, folks in Brooklyn or Staten Island that are terribly eager to uh, go to war to defend Estonia either. So um, what is we've seen NATO expand dramatically since the Iron Curtain fell in spite of, you know, there was supposedly a verbal guarantee from Jim Baker and George H.W. Bush to Gorbachev and others that uh, NATO would not expand eastward. They have expanded significantly. In your view, what is uh, the driving force behind NATO expansion over the last 30 years? I think it was quite clear after Bill Clinton needed to win his second term and decided to make his foreign policy a major part of his persona and intervened all the way from uh, the Bosnia-Herzegovina-Serbian conflict to finally the really illegal war against Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia, and Belgrade being bombed and so forth to get Kosovo. That's what really started Putin thinking about what NATO might do in the future. And that was the grave move that started the expansion to the point where Lockheed Martin could sell F-16s to Poland and all manner of other people, Georgia even. My president, George W. Bush, wants to Tbilisi, and beside that young president, Sagasvili, essentially said Georgia would be a member of NATO in the future. And look what Putin did. He immediately invaded and took two northern sections of Georgia. Uh, it shouldn't have been difficult for us to figure out what we were doing and how dangerous it was. And we were doing it on behalf of defense contractors like Lockheed, like Grumman, like Raytheon, like Boeing, who wanted to sell additional weapon systems to new countries. So this this NATO expansion, in your view, all comes down in some respects to the warnings that General Eisenhower gave, President Eisenhower gave in his farewell address, which is the military industrial complex. Absolutely. And it's not just, as, as my friend Ray McGovern has wanted to point out, it's not just military industrial com- complex anymore. It's military industrial, congressional, think tank, university. I, it's 
all manner of powerful influences in the United States who've joined up and said, aye, aye, sir, give me some of your money. Look at that Defense Department budget. Look at that national security budget. It's over $1.4 trillion annually now. That's a big gravy pie that everyone wants to join in uh, eating. That is for sure. Now, obviously, I share your concerns about NATO expansion, but just to play devil's advocate for a minute, keeping in mind your analysis, which I think most people would have a difficult time finding a hole in the in the logic of it, that uh, Putin won't go into a NATO country like Estonia, Montenegro, Finland, or maybe even a NATO-ish country like Georgia. Um, doesn't that show that the old the, the old uh, fairy tale of of the three little pigs, they all want to live in the brick house because it can't be uh, blown down by the big bad wolf. Isn't NATO in this case the brick house? Doesn't that show that it's rational for countries like Ukraine and Georgia to want to be part of NATO because that essentially guarantees you're protected from a Russian invasion? To a certain extent, you're right, but you're right in the old context. And, And let me just point out what I mean by that. A Russian journalist recently on a webinar with Tom Graham, if you know Tom, been a member of the National Security Council for President Obama. I think he might even be a member right now. But Tom, I've known for a long time. He's he's a Russia expert. And Fyodor Lukov, the Russian journalist, said this. He said, quote, the ultimate result of this crisis, the crisis in Ukraine, could be the third reorganization of Euro-Atlantic security since the 1940s. I think he's absolutely right. What we need is we need a new Helsinki Final Act, a new Paris Accord, whatever starts it off. It could be something done uh, in the auspices of this crisis right now initially and then spin into this. And we need a new transatlantic security. And let me tell you what the three fundamentals of that should be. One, Washington gives up its desire to reestablish hegemony over Western Europe. Two, Moscow gives up its desire to reestablish the Soviet Union's hegemony over Eastern Europe. And three, and most importantly, most importantly, Europe, now 740 million people, the third third largest entity on the face of the planet, and with a GDP the equivalent of our own, stands up and takes responsibility for its own political, economic, financial, and security interests. That would be the realignment that should happen out of this crisis. That would be a positive. Then the big consortium of China, Europe, and America could get on meeting the crisis of the climate. I guess the the first step in in anything that you're talking about, whether it's setting up a uh, referendum in the in the two Donbass republics or reimagining transatlantic security, would be uh, negotiating some sort of a ceasefire here between Russia and Ukraine absolutely. while they hammer yes, out all absolutely. these details. Well, uh, we, we forget Russia's a part of Europe. Uh, look at your map, at least from the Urals in uh, to the West. Russia's part of Europe. Russia's tried since Catherine to enter Europe in one way or another, peacefully, to associate with it. At Catherine's court, you had to speak French. That was the court language. And we've always rebuffed them, or they pulled in their efforts themselves. They need to come and be a part of Europe, as we envisioned in 1992 and 93 when Powell was chairman of the Joint Chiefs. We were thinking about making NATO uh, an open place for Russia to enter. 
first politically and then militarily. Be a member of the alliance. We were actually talking about that. Look what we did to that idea. Well, I mean, it's going to be difficult for a lot of Washington policymakers and a lot of rank-and-file Americans to accept Russia into uh, the international community after this invasion, though. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Look, after 1917, we actually sent soldiers to try and beat them. Mm. Right. Um, revolution had turned to solve Russia for for a long time. Not some people. Some people were sympathetic and became communists themselves. We had a big, big problem with that in this country. But largely, every time Russia is rebuffed or does something like the 1917 revolution, they get they go into isolation again. And it's not good for Russia to be in isolation. They need to come out into the sunshine. No, agreed. And uh, shame on the uh, American policymakers that have helped uh, precipitate the this kind of a condition. Lastly, sir, this makes is, money. Uh, makes money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, unfortunately, uh, you're right. This is the first time that I've had the opportunity to speak with you. And uh, that means it's the first time that I've spoken with you since Colin Powell, a fellow that you work with very closely, has passed away, passed away back in October. I'm wondering, in, in brief, uh, any quick reflections of Colin Powell as either a man, a state Statesman, a soldier. What's your what's his legacy as a person and as a public servant? Well, I sum it up this way: He was a great man, perhaps the greatest American I ever worked for or knew, and that's for sure. Perhaps a great American in the true sense of that term, and he deserved at the end of his term in government a much better president, indeed a much better vice president, and a much better administration. Um, but he felt that he couldn't leave that administration um, because if he did, he was afraid the person who followed him would be in sync with them. And he fought them for four years. Lawrence, Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, thank you so much for the time. I hope we could talk again in the future. Surely. Thank you for the chance. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Moreno, 77 WABC. The other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Hopefully, you had a nice St. Patrick's Day yesterday, or a nice Purim, or both. Uh, we had foods from both here at the radio station. You go into the kitchen now, you see Jewish foods like hamantaschen, and you see corned beef, you see cabbage, Irish soda bread, potatoes. It's an Irish feast. It's a Jewish feast, and it is still pizza day, so we still got pizza. We didn't do much um, in our house for St. Patrick's Day, even though my wife is Irish and my son is Irish. We did, however, this was my wife's idea, lest you think I'm trying to corrupt my son at a young age. My wife wanted to take him to an Irish pub for a St. Patrick's Day celebration. So there's one Irish pub near us that's very well known locally, and it's it's owned by Irish people. It's It's a very big Irish place, 365 days a year. So we go in there, and I knew this was going to be the case. It was packed. We couldn't even fit in there let alone have a, a baby in a um, in a car seat fit in. So we walked in, and we couldn't even walk in, actually, because it was so packed to the gills. Whatever the legal limit for people in a, in a domicile, I guarantee you they were over them. 
So then we go to this other nice place that I like uh, in my neighborhood. It's called the Curly Wolf, a great place. And we go in there, and it was crowded, but it was not packed. You could actually move around. And that's because that is not primarily known as an Irish place. Now, they Irished it up for St. Patrick's Day. They had some decorations, and they had live music. Now, because they had live music in there, and because there were a lot of people, it was loud in there. So nobody could hear what anybody is saying. And, um, you know, we go in, and I see the bartender. The bartender is a very famous singer because her mom owns this place, so she comes by a couple times a week and helps her mom out. And uh, Brielle Von Hugel, who's great. And I'm trying to say hello to her. Oh, I was talking about her music on the radio recently. And she doesn't really say anything. And she says, and she's why she's the smartest of the two of us. She comes around to the other side and says, oh, sorry, I don't like to yell um, while I'm bartending because of my voice. She's a singer. I said, yeah, I, I, uh, I've noticed the same thing. And, you know, I did have to yell to make conversation with everybody there. And that's why I feel like my voice is a little scratchy at the moment. But it was interesting. There was one woman at the bar. Obviously, everybody at the bar loved Little Carmine. There's one woman at the bar that just holds up her hands and motions to hand Rachel, have Rachel hand her the baby. And Rachel says, are you sober? And she says, yeah, more or less. Rachel hands her the baby. And the lady uh, holds him for a couple of minutes and hands it back. And then later, I said, why did you give that lady the baby? She says, I thought that was a friend of yours. I couldn't understand what anybody was saying. It was so loud. Those are the perils of loud establishments. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They run in a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, coming up at 4 o'clock, Marlena Shivo will be here. This is normally the time of the week, the time of the day, that we do denunciations. And we are going to do denunciations in a few minutes. But a lot of you have been very patiently holding. So what I think I'm going to do is run through your calls real quick, then do denunciations. That will not only give you an opportunity to be heard, and, but that will give Molly an opportunity to print out some of the articles that I asked her to print out. Uh, so what I'm going to do, we've done this a couple of times. I don't love doing it this way, but what we're going to do is if those of you that have been holding the longest, I'm going to go to you first. So it's the first in, first in, first up. That's what we'll call this method of putting callers on the air. And it has a certain randomization element that you got to appreciate. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Yeah, hi. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Uh, first of all, first of all, happy uh, St. Patrick's Day to you. Thank you. And to and to your wife and Carmine, happy St. Patrick's Day and happy Purim. Um, okay. Uh, first of all, can can I mention? Is it okay if I mention two uh, movies for the ten-year-old? Go ahead. Yeah. One is I don't remember the name of it, but it was Michael J. Fox, where he becomes a doctor. In a uh, little town, instead of becoming very wealthy in Los Angeles, I, I think it was uh, was that Doc Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, that must be it. Right, right. I couldn't remember the name. Yeah, of it. I think that might. I think, be. That's a, I think that's a good thing for a ten-year-old. There's a certain moral there. Money isn't everything. Yeah, you know? that's a good one. That's a great recommendation. And to, yeah, and to serve with love, I think would be would be good too. Maybe ten-year-old is too young. I'm not sure, but I think he would learn something from that too. Especially the way things are wild today. 
when the way Sidney Poitier handles the class, I think it's a tremendous movie, in my opinion. I, I agree with you on both. I'm a big fan of both films. Okay. Well, I hope the guy's listening. In any case, thank you. Um, my question is, I'm trying to understand, I mean, I have several, several answers, but none of them are really satisfying to me. Why is it that all of a sudden people discovered that Putin is mad, he's killing people, civilians. He's been doing it for the last 11 years together with Iran and Assad, the dictator from Syria, causing people like 500, 600,000 civilians, maybe it's a little less. But he's been doing that for 11 years. People don't know. I think here's the difference, uh, Charles, and I would agree with you, right? I mean, nobody should be uh, surprised at the level of Putin's ruthlessness. Here is, I think, the difference. In the case of Syria, the Syrian government and President Assad wanted Russia to come in and help them beat back the terrorists and the dissidents. So they were doing any military intervention they were doing at the behest and the request of Syria. The reason what what's happening in Ukraine is such a dramatic escalation is because he's doing this in the against the express wishes of what the Ukrainian government wants. So in one case, he's helping the sitting government. We can argue whether that's appropriate or not. And in the other, he's invading uh, a sovereign country. That is, I think, why this is striking some people as so jarring. But it's a great observation. 800-848-WABC. Nick is in New Jersey. Hello, Nick. Oh, hi, Frank. How you doing? Yeah, I listened in the past to Rudy Giuliani about uh, title fraud, title uh, fraud, and uh, I was interested in what you were talking about, virtual real estate. Uh, If somebody purchases, say, your property or anybody else's property virtually, can that affect uh, you as uh, on your actual physical title? Um, No. The short answer is no, and not as the law is now, and there shouldn't be any way. But uh, the like the lottery commercials used to say, "Hey, you never know." We we are increasingly merging the worlds of reality, uh, base reality, and uh, met the metaverse. So who knows uh, what happens down the line? That's one of the reasons. I figure, what does it cost me? Twenty dollars to buy my own house. That's one of the reasons I'm going to buy my own house in the metaverse. But as it stands now, no, there's no way that if somebody buys your house in the metaverse that that should alter anything in real life. But, again, you never know. 800-848-WABC. Eric is in Manhattan. Hello, Eric. Hey, hey, Frank. Um, first of all, was, was that Donald Sutherland that called in? The guy said he was quitting the lobster. I can swear <laughs> that was Donald Sutherland. <laughs> you know, it did sound like um, him. It probably right, was Donald right. Sutherland. Yes, it probably was. Um, I got on to I called in today. I wanted to see if you could ask the colonel if, if they've ever audited the, the um, NATO which I know the answer to that probably, or, or will they, you know? The last question is, um, maybe you could find out from Nicole Maliotakis, um, if we're still subsidizing uh, um, Amazon shipping. I know in the beginning we were. We were, we were paying for the shipping. Well, it's a good question. I'll, I'll look into that a little know? bit more. They do get a discounted postal rate, yeah. uh, Amazon. Yeah. So we're all subsidizing Amazon's, yeah, yeah. Amazon's shipping, and which doesn't seem mm-hmm. right considering how they treat not only their own workers but consumers yeah, yeah. and the role exactly. they play in censoring different authors and mm-hmm. other people. So uh, I'll, I'll do a little more research on that. I'd rather, but, hear, I, I'd rather hear from you, the bad news. <laughs> yeah, like I hear you. I hear you. Uh, I'll do a follow-up on that hopefully Monday or Tuesday of next week. 800-848-9222, who's been holding the next one? Lamar is in Manhattan. Hello, Lamar. 
Good evening, Frank. It's uh, always a pleasure to hear you on the radio and uh, occasionally get to talk with you. We were hoping we could engage Colonel Wilkerson with some of our commentary and assessment concerning this latest uh, military expedition adventure in Ukraine. Uh, just as a suggestion, we I held on as a suggestion, Frank, perhaps if the colonel is ever uh, comes back, we could have a Q&A period with him. I think it'd be uh, uh, quite gratifying. Yeah, uh, you know, that's not a bad idea, Lamar. In fact, um, I, I think that's the second request we've had for that this week. I, I think maybe going forward, what we'll try and do with somebody, if they don't mind staying up that late, of that person's um, sophistication and expertise, maybe we'll do an hour where I ask questions and then an hour where you get to ask questions. It is tough because to get people to give you any significant amount of time this late at night is very difficult. Uh, but um, we'll try. We'll try. That's all I can promise. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Wayne in Hempstead. Hello, Wayne. Good evening, and thanks for being there. You know, you got the greatest audience. Everybody has so many fantastic questions. That you're right. You're right about that. For, and I'm, I mean, like you, one person here, just the, two, two calls ago, he's saying uh, Amazon and the, and the free. You know, my brother-in-law worked in Brooklyn at one of the famous clothiers. I won't mention their name. They treated him like basically dirt when they got rid of him after 20 years. He's been with Amazon for three years, and they treat him like gold. So I don't know what you're talking about. They treat their workers beautiful. In his All right, place. Well, right I mean, not, not when they're trying to unionize, that's for no, sure. No, no, right there in Jersey. And you know what? They don't want the union there, just so you know, but that's a side well, issue. I, but, and there are some Amazon warehouses where they do want to unionize. I know, but not in Jersey. Okay. Where this, yeah, it's, I, right. it's one of the biggest facilities they have. You can imagine it's got to serve New York City. Fair enough. New York Metro. But but what I was calling about was this gentleman, um, Wilkerson, who, you know, had a, you know, a very important career and all that. And I, with all due respect, while I was listening to him, I did a little research. And, you know, he was born in 1945, and what's interesting is – that while he was still laying in the bassinet, my dad was like with his buddies, was decimating Tojo's, you know, war war factories, so that maybe and actually here we are, we're still alive. To you know, my dad and his buddies, but this man interestingly makes the comment just on uh, literally in June last year that Israel's going to be no more and shouldn't be anymore. Now it's interesting because he quotes the 1947 joint chief of staff's meeting with Truman, where he denotes correctly that everybody in the military said, don't approve of the Israel state because there's 400 million of their enemies and it's not worth it. This is what our military said to Truman. Interestingly, Truman got a visit, in case you don't know this, he got a visit from a friend of his while he was a hat maker over in Missouri. The man came into his office you know, he's a good friend, and he came in and he urged him. He said, President Truman, with all respect, you must, you must acknowledge that Israel is to be a state. And it obviously was God's doing, because here we are, and it's, now, it's no longer 1948, is it? And this man actually stated, this Wilkerson, with all due respect, he stated that Israel is a big pain in the neck. Read the article for yourself. I can send you the link. But what's interesting is... Apparently, he never read, because I'll tell you one last thing. I transported 347 Marines out of Paris Island over to Vandenberg Air Force Base, where they went straight out into the desert for their final desert training. 
And on that plane, all of their guns were, you know, without ammunition, but they had all of their equipment. And interestingly, every single one of them was issued a Bible, a tiny pocket Bible. And apparently this man, Van, uh, what's his name, uh, Wilkerson, he never read that Bible because the, the commander in chief of the universe is going to destroy every single army that will be surrounding Israel. I don't know if you're aware of that. And it's interesting that you mentioned Purim, which is also amazing, because, you know, Purim is the only book in the Bible. It's in the book of Esther. And do you know that it's the only book that doesn't mention the word God? And yet, Mordecai, Esther's uncle, says, if not you, God will provide somebody. But this is the time. This is the time, and you are the appointed one. So you either step up or it's all over. When, is there are. anything uh, about Russia, Ukraine, China, Taiwan, or NATO that Colonel Wilkerson said that you take issue with? Absolutely, because isn't it interesting that he didn't mention, neither did you, but maybe, maybe you weren't aware. Do you know that, 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 uh, the, that Bennett, the prime minister of Israel, was in Moscow with Putin, like literally the end of last week, for yeah. many hours. Well, I've been mentioning, including just oh. now in that discussion, that right. he's been trying to mediate this dispute and talking to yeah. leaders in both Ukraine and Russia. Right. But, you know, he kind of sidescores. He doesn't realize that Israel is the whole ball game. You see, this world does. There's only one free country on Earth. That's right, ours, but is right there anything here. about the policy or the course of action that he suggested as it relates to Eastern Europe that you disagree with? Well, a lot of it, because he's talking well, name, about... Give me know, one specific thing. The whole thing with NATO, it, you know. The whole thing. So you want just endless NATO expansion, and you want... No, pe- I, want the, I don't want that. Well, I don't want that at all. That's exactly what he was saying, that we shouldn't be expanding NATO, so that we have to... Well, I agree with him on that. All right, he, so what do you disagree with? The real deal. The real deal is that actually, I mean, I know I'm stepping out into another area. Right, right. Okay, so stay in the area area that we just spent 29 minutes speaking about. What specifically, in his analysis of Russia, Ukraine, China, Taiwan, NATO, or Colin Powell, do you disagree with? What specifically? Well, what I disagree with is the approach that we have to be in this period, okay? You know, the no-fly zone, it doesn't make sense, right. Agreed, but, okay. But in the meantime, there's a way to put Putin in his place, but what you don't also understand is that the ruler of all nations... Okay, all right, planet. thank you, Wayne. Uh, look, um, you, I get that you, lo- you love Israel, and, um, uh, and Israel is a very important ally to the United States. We weren't really talking about that. I think you really need to be cautious about looking to the Bible to dictate American foreign policy. Um, There are a lot of different interpretations of the Bible, and I don't know that we should make decisions about NATO expansion, for instance, or no-fly zones, or getting uh, MiGs to uh, – or helping transport MiGs from the Polish based on what's in the Bible. So, But you can be free to disagree. 800-848-WABC. Uh, Dave is in Middletown. Hello, Dave. Hey, Frank. How you doing? Um, quick. Uh, well, I was going to say that the idea of a referendum in the occupied territories in Ukraine is, is, is not really going to work unless you expect uh, a rigged election like the one that like Putin held in Crimea under duress while it was under the occupation of the Russian troops. 
Same thing in the Donbass, in the eastern parts of the Donbass, Luhansk and, and Donetsk. They, they held these referendums there. But the people there, over the course of the last seven years, they have turned against the Russian rulers, their overlords. They don't like these, 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 these thugs who are these local, uh, you could call them like uh, mafioso, mafiosi there. And, and these guys are ruling over them like lords, right? So the people there, the ones who've got, been able to speak freely have said no. nobody really likes them, and they don't like the rule of the Russians. Right. And, and well, I mean, Wilkerson acknowledged that. Well, well, he talked about the idea of a referendum. Right, down the line, he, because he said that can't be done now because even the Russians folk, Russian folks there would vote against Putin. Absolutely. And, and the question is, would Putin— allow it. I, look, I happen no. to think... No. Well, I mean, yeah, it would have to be, you know, international monitors and uh, only done as a result of a, a diplomatic exactly. settlement down the down the line. Right, right. A settlement. That, that could very well happen. But what might also happen is, maybe you're not aware of this, but Putin has put something like nine or ten major uh, generals, uh, gen- not major generals, but actual top generals, under house arrest in their home, in their dachas. These people... He, you know, he's starting to mistrust his own military leadership, kind of like Stalin did. And who knows what he's going to do? As you know, he, he made a speech today or, or yesterday, as it is, that uh, the people who are against this war are traitors and they must be spit out like like flies mm-hmm. that accidentally fly in your mouth. So he's planning. He's, he's planning a purge. That's what he's planning. But the question is, are there enough people around him? Somebody might have the courage to put him to to take him out or whatever or or to or to say i'm now in charge and and it's been there's precedent in russian history for this has happened before um who knows what can happen as as he got bogged down in ukraine and 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 the 20 some million uh, ukrainian men are fighting that just a few hundred thousand russian soldiers they're going to be bogged down for years if he keeps out this and i think eventually he will fall all right. Well, we'll see, Dave. We will wait and watch. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Carl is in Queens. Oh, excuse me. Ron is in Michigan. Hello, Ron. Hi, Frank. Frank, uh, first of all, we just had the Lindbergh uh, interview, and you're passing baby Carmine <clears throat> to drunken bar people. Well, that's what the thing. Just... That's the thing. My wife, because she couldn't hear the conversation, she thought this lady was a friend of mine when she wasn't. That's the That's the thing. Well, here's what I suggest, Frank. You know they have the baby carriers where the baby is strapped right to your chest. That way, they're you can't. Nobody can take the baby away from you. Nobody can, you know. Uh, can I hold the baby? No, the baby's right there where it belongs, right next to you. Okay, that's my opinion. Okay. Now, <clears throat> thank you, Frank, for having alternative uh, viewpoints on this uh, this tragedy that's uh, occurring. And this this rush to warmonger and war war uh, uh, fever, but in my opinion, what Putin is going to do here, what he's doing, he's going to pulverize Ukraine and drive millions and millions of Ukrainians, probably ten million, at least ten million Ukrainians, out of that country, because he's not trying to win hearts and minds. He, he's going to destroy. He's going to save the wheat fields. He's going to save the tungsten mines. He's going to save the atomic power plants, and. <clears throat> But this worldwide phenomena of all these refugees pouring all over the world, they're going to harbor, in my opinion, just like the Cubans harbored hatred for the Democrats because we didn't go into Cuba and because we're not going to go into Ukraine. At least uh, hopefully Joe's not going to put us into Ukraine. 
But they're going to harbor a hatred for the United States and Democrats in particular that'll never go away and that'll fester for the rest of rest of the eternity, in my opinion. We'll see what happens, Ron. Uh, we'll have to wait and watch. Carl is in Queens. Hello, Carl. Oh, hello. Yes. Um, happy St. Patrick's Day. Okay. Uh, the reason that I'm calling um, a first Colonel, not specifically Colonel Winkerson, what, what he's specified, uh, two things. First of all, it's obvious that the Russians, what they're doing is, it's just, it's very, it's very bad. I mean, it's very dangerous. And Europeans who live there, they're neighbors of Russia, neighbors of Ukraine. Look what what the Germans did. They just turned around the policy of maybe 30, 40 years. Now they're upping their um, their defense capabilities, spending hundreds of billions to to do it. And and Germany is a significant factor in Europe. And Sweden and Finland are discussing seriously joining NATO. Uh, so obviously they have something to fear. They they know they know what's going on there. I mean, the field and they, all the theorizing here of American pundits and so forth and supposed experts. They don't know as much as the, the neighbors of the Russians, the neighbors of the Ukrainians, and they know what's going on. I'm sure they have agents in Russia. They have agents. It's going back so, many years. So what's your point, Carl? What's your Putin point? It's extremely dangerous. What's your point, exactly? And secondly, as far as uh, Colonel Venkerson, uh, um, he's, he's, he mentions uh, Colin Powell as a very uh, significant, uh, great man and so forth. Show, tell me one achievement that Colin Powell has ever, has ever, has ever achieved in, during his career. Well, again, I'm okay, not Colin Powell's. Right well, I'm I'm not Colin Powell's lawyer, but uh, he was the first uh, black Secretary of State. Uh, that that in and of itself is something that uh, it makes him quite a trail bla- uh, tr- quite a trailblazer. He's someone who was a, his leadership during the first Persian Gulf War was exemplary. That's when we used to win wars uh, when uh, we had, uh, you know, Powell's leadership with the with the Persian Gulf. The guy uh, has been decorated in combat repeatedly, um, you know, getting the uh, I mean a, a whole bunch of uh, of awards more than I can that I can list and more than I'm aware of. I'm not sure, um, you know, what achievement you'd be happy with, uh, to be honest. So he's achieved a great deal in combat. He's achieved a great deal in military leadership. And he's achieved a great deal in the nonprofit sector as a leader with with education. Um, You know, in terms of his role in Vietnam alone, uh, there's a a lot of significant achievements there. But whatever, I'm not here to defend Colin Powell's record he died in October. It's just the first chance that I've had to interview a guy that worked with him so closely. I thought it might be worth asking the question. Jeff is in, in uh, on the west side. Hello, Jeff. Yes. Um, I don't think you're going to bully me, so let's get to the point. You ready? I don't th- you, I'm not going to believe you or bully you're you? You're not going to bully me like you bullied the other caller before. Who I'm did I go. bully? Give you a couple. All right. Number one, I'm going to tell you what happened with this gentleman that you put on, the general or whatever he is. Colonel right, or whatever he is, yes. Number one. He compassed Israel and Netanyahu. That's number one, okay? Number two, he said something about the people in Ukraine are going to vote for limited communism of some sort. You didn't even get into it with him because it was so ridiculous. 
And and he said, but there will be guerrillas that will fight, but we're gonna we're gonna vote for limited communism. All right, forget about that. That was ridiculous, and you know that. But you didn't say anything. Number three, okay? What was the thing with climate change that you ignored because it was so bizarre, and you didn't even want to get into it because it was so ridiculous? Now it's your turn. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that, Jeff. Um, well, I didn't want to get into climate change just because we only had about 25 minutes, and that brings a – that's a whole hour-long discussion. You could have in, addressed it for well, two so, minutes or one hang, minute. Hang, so, so, Jeff, what it. would you have liked me to say? What would you have liked me you to said say? You said you could – well, you, you, you decide what you're going to say. Oh, I'm thank you. you. I, I chose to then – I would have said – Jeff, how come I am quiet when you're speaking? Jeff, how come I'm quiet when you're speaking, but you're not quiet when I'm speaking? I am polite. You asked me. Now, number two. No, no, but I, and then I tried to retort what you said, and you chose right. to speak over me. It was completely unacceptable what you said. You said you had, you had limited time. They okay. didn't want to get into it. So, but, so that he, was important. Okay, so, Jeff, he believes, as a lot of other people do, that climate change is a serious national security threat. And he gave a couple of, uh, of areas as to why. So rather than focus on the war that's raging in Russia and Ukraine. He said the war was a distraction. Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, so that, that's what I invited him on to talk about. Okay, I don't and you know. didn't address it. Okay, number two. What about the thing with the vote? He said the the, the people in Ukraine are going to vote, and they're going to be limited communism, and they'll be guerrillas. You didn't address that either. Why not? Two of the most important things in the conversation. Jeff, because we I, Jeff, 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 completely banned him, and you just said nothing Jeff, about that. Jeff, Jeff, you said Jeff, 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 a propaganda. Jeff, hang on. Jeff, so um, one, I think if you re-listen to the podcast, which you can do at wabcradio.com. He's... I don't have to do it again. I'm smarter than you. No, let me All right, Jeff. You. Okay. okay, Jeff, I don't doubt that you are smarter than me, but you you're not capable of being quiet right? while other people are speaking. So you may be smarter than me, but I don't think you you're more polite. And the interview that he had with the lady. With the, with the lady. What, what lady? lady? What lady? What lady now? Again, it's so difficult for me to follow your interruptions that okay. I'm trying to, I'm like Ricochet Rabbit trying to follow your points here. So go ahead. Now, what do you want to talk okay. about now? What, what lady? You're not, even, you're not even addressing my points. So, so, try to so Jeff, pick one. Else. Pick one point, Jeff, and I'll address okay, that. I'm going to Tucker Carlson and the interview we had with the lady that you said, he said the tough questions are. Yes. That lady... If you go back and listen to the interview, that lady eviscerated him. I disagree. He was I disagree. Completely overmatched. I and completely disagree. And you know what? Why don't you but listen I, to it again? Uh, I'm smarter uh, than you. Why J- don't you listen Jeff, to it again? Jeff, you keep saying you're smarter than me. I believed you the first time. I don't pretend. See, uh, Jeff hung up. I didn't hang up on him. Didn't interrupt him. Uh, so uh, that uh, that congresswoman, I, I don't think she eviscerated Tucker Carlson at all. But Maria Salazar is her name. I didn't remember before. Second, I don't think interviews are about eviscerating. I think they're about learning something from the person that you're talking to. And I think what Tucker brought about there is the lack of a plan that the people for a no-fly zone have once Russians start shoot, once Russian jets start getting shot down by Americans. So, uh, I mean, I think Tucker... If you watch that interview, I think Tucker does a masterful job explaining through questions why a no-fly zone is unworthy. But you're welcome to uh, disagree. As far as climate change, again, he gave a few aspects of why he believes climate change is a threat. But 
I'm not here to defend all of his views. I'm here to ask questions. I remember I was covering a trial one time, and the defense attorney was cross-examining an FBI agent. And he didn't like the answers that he was getting from the FBI agent. And the defense attorney basically starts threatening the witness. He holds up five stacks of paper and says, uh, I will stay here all day and keep you on the stand as we go through all these. And the judge said, no, do not threaten the witness. Ask questions. That was about 10 years ago. And since then, I've always tried to take exactly that tact in an interview. If I have someone on, I'm not here to, uh, you know, make the interview about my own views. I'm here to ask them. Now, that happens to be an incredibly accomplished uh, military colonel, a, a retired colonel who served for 30 years in the United States Army, fought in the Vietnam War, served as chief of staff to the Joint Chiefs of Staff and to the Secretary of State. Now, you might be smarter than me, Jeff, but you're not more experienced than Colonel Wilkerson. You could disagree with his conclusions, but you don't have his level of combat experience or foreign policy experience. Sorry. Um, Let's see. Nick is in Syracuse. Hello, Nick. Hello, Frank. Thanks for taking my call. I I just wanted to add a little bit more perspective, I hope. I I appreciate the general's uh, commentary and his focus on the colonel. I'm sorry. Uh, About the the military industrial complex and their push, uh, everybody's incentive for cash and it being a cash cow. But I believe there's even more above that with the New World Order and even the people, if you've seen people interviewed or people, they're saying they're fighting not just for Ukraine, but for the New World Order mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe there's also that they're in the background, I think, pushing and 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 putting forward this this incentive for more war and and i believe putin knows who they are as well i do not agree with his insurgency but i i believe they poked the bear and and kind of pushed him into that and trapped him in it and now we're just in this terrible situation where there's really no good answer everybody who's arguing is doing like a tit for tat like a, a a marriage couple almost there's been so much going on there for hundreds of years and so many different factions of people arguing over their different points of view back and forth and they're getting away from what the big picture is and who's pushing these people from from behind that you know they're every they're they're pushing these factions of people together and creating this chaos and there's no answer when everybody's just bickering over everything, uh, and it's becoming a you know a horrifying situation because the nuclear, you know, people talking, you know, let okay, let's start using tactical nukes, and that that that's just a terrible idea. Yeah, I, that's I, true, Nick. Thank you. Uh, final uh, call here before we get to denunciations. I'm way late here. Tom in Brooklyn. Hello. Hey, Frank. Um, that guy Jeff says he's smarter than you, yet being rude shows ignorance. Uh, I used to try and get my point across by over-talking uh, and realized I was not as smart as I thought I was. Uh, and you are a very intelligent man, Frank. I get a lot of information from you, and I check it up. And, man, I really do think that you're one of the most intelligent uh, talk show hosts I've ever listened to. Well, that's not, nice I'm trying to kick, of you. I'm uh, not trying to kiss your butt or anything like that. I just think you're a great guy. Well, thank uh, you, on, Gen- uh, on Colonel uh, on uh, General Colonel Powell, uh, he was a great man, as well as a great soldier. And anybody who would say anything else is, you know, I, I know he had 
a terrible administration at the time, and I'm not as up to date on my information, but uh, he was a great man. And I just want people to know that he was he was stuck in in a very bad situation. Yeah, well, and, uh, and I think Colonel Wilkerson made that point. I thought he was very fair to him on that. Yeah. Tom, thanks for the call. Uh, look, as far as whether or not Jeff is smarter than me, he probably is. I don't pretend to be that intelligent. I have average intelligence. So if Jeff is even slightly above average, he's probably a little brighter than me. That being said, I invite guests on who have a unique perspective or who have uh, a great deal of experience. The guy was chief of staff to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the secretary of state and served as an officer in the military for 30 years. I mean, to me, the guy's entitled to his opinion. Not entitled to have me second guess every aspect of that opinion that I don't agree with. 800-848-9222. Denunciation straight ahead. WABC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. The Eastern world, it is exploding. Violence flaring, bullets blowing. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war, but watch that gun you're toting. And even the Jordan River has bodies floating at ya. I tell you, if there was ever a song whose lyrics were more relevant today than ever, it's this one. This, of course, is The Eve of Destruction. I'm sure you've heard this song, but you've probably heard the Barry Maguire version. Do you recognize who's singing here? I'm hoping to have this gentleman on next week one day. The person singing here is the former governor of Minnesota, former Navy SEAL frogman, and former RT uh, TV commentator Jesse Ventura singing Eve of Destruction. Let's listen a little more Ah, the great Jesse Ventura. All right. I'm sorry to get to this so late, but uh, we had a lot of people that needed to call in and tell me how much smarter they were than I am. So, so be it. Who am I to stop them? But it is nonetheless time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciation. I must uh, denounce SUNY Brockport. SUNY Brockport, which is paid for in large part with taxpayer money from the New York State taxpayers, they actually invited a convicted cop killer, Anthony Bottom, now known as Jaleel Montekin, to speak on April 6th. The college's website describes him as a political prisoner, which outraged many, as it makes no mention of Bottom's conviction for killing Two New York City police officers. He's not a political prisoner. He's someone that was a prisoner because he killed two police officers. Now, I understand they are rescinding that invitation, but um, the fact that this would even be proffered says a lot about SUNY Brockport. Now, I'm not saying there's not something to be learned from interviewing murderers. I've interviewed murderers many times. 
and I've learned a great deal each time. But one, it's a lot different if you do it in a radio interview than if you do it at a symposium in a taxpayer-funded institution. Two, if you're going to have a cop killer, at least be overt about what you're doing. You're inviting a cop killer to come speak to the student body for whatever reason. Don't claim that it's a political prisoner. That's not somebody that was a political prisoner. I have to denounce Marie Snyder of Pennsylvania. This is a sad story. This is a mother who has now admitted that she and her partner starved her daughters to death and buried them in a rural backyard. Her two daughters, Nicole Elizabeth and Jasmine. Nicole Elizabeth is one and Jasmine was another. Six years old and four years old, they were seen for the last time in 2015. And now this woman testified that she and Echo Butler withheld food from the girls. The emaciated bodies of these two girls were found in a shallow grave in Hepburn Township, Pennsylvania. Now, I can't believe this. I I cannot believe this. Um, Why anyone would starve their own children to death is beyond me. I mean, we have a lot of, uh, if you can't afford to buy food, uh, we have a lot of programs that can help pay for these, these things. These kids would have been better off if she just abandoned them on the side of the road. Because chances are they would have been recovered by somebody that wouldn't have starved them to death. This woman is absolutely reprehensible. I'm sure she has 9,000 different mental issues and psychotic issues. And uh, fine. This is a woman um, who there's really a special place in hell for people like this that would starve an innocent four-year-old and six-year-old to death, especially when it's your own children. I hate to do this, but I have to denounce napping. That's right. Some new research showing that frequent napping or regular napping for extended periods during the day may be a sign of early dementia in in adults. Additionally, the authors of this this study said we found the association between excessive daytime napping and dementia remained after adjusting for nighttime quantity and quality of sleeps. So this this new study used data gathered over 14 years and they followed 1400 people between the ages of 74 and 88 and they found that not only may, might excessive napping be one of the many clues that a person could be on the road to cognitive decline, but it, they actually found that napping would not help matters. It could actually help you, I don't know, um, get further into the grips of dementia. So part of this might have to do with sedentary behavior versus... Um, exercise and moving around but this is frightening because i am a guy that likes to nap i wanted to announce netflix uh, i may touch upon this some more with marlena shivo next hour but netflix is now planning to start charging for password sharing 
How greedy can these bastards be? These guys who are, are rolling in dough, who made a ton of money during the pandemic because everyone was home all day watching Netflix, making sure their subscriptions were up to date. They announced yesterday that they're planning to crack down on password sharings among watchers. This is nuts. First of all, password sharing is not costing them any business. Second of all, they're making billions. Third, they're not paying taxes. If you paid a dollar in taxes last year, you paid more than Netflix did. Four, many times, this password sharing, and I pay for my Netflix, but I share my password with other people. This password sharing is leading to more Americans seeing the Netflix products, sampling them, and getting Netflix subscriptions of their own. So this is not only mean-spirited, it's short-sighted from a business uh, perspective, I think. There's another sad story. I I don't have this young man's name. I don't think it's been released. But I want to denounce this 13-year-old boy who was driving a pickup truck in Texas that struck a van and killed nine, nine people, including six New Mexico college golfers. What is a 13-year-old boy doing driving a car, let alone um, let alone a truck like this? Uh, oh, actually, we do have the teen's name. I'm sorry. It's Ricky Simons. Ricky Simons. Now, the, the teen's father also died in the collision. And, I, look, I, I can't imagine the heartbreak that, the Simons family is dealing with right now. But what kind of father lets his 13-year-old son drive a pickup truck? Pickup trucks are tough to drive, even for adults. You can't be letting children drive pickup trucks. So I'm sorry that this young man and his father are dead, but there are a lot of innocent people that are now dead because this 38-year-old man thought it would be a A fun idea to have his teenage son drive. I want to denounce the city of Miami. I've never been to Miami. I've always wanted to go. But they have been named. I hope Gina from Brooklyn doesn't go there. They have been named by Clever Real Estate, which is a real estate platform, as the worst city in the entire country for live music. They analyzed public data and ranked the 50 most populous metro areas in the country from the best to the worst music cities. They examined each city's music events, venues, concert ticket affordability, and more factors besides them. And they found that Miami is the worst city in the country for live music. I want to denounce anybody whether it's some of my colleagues here at the radio station or just anybody in regular life that is still saying the Ukraine. Please don't say the Ukraine. It is insulting. Uh, You know, it it kills me, these people who are changing their social media profile pictures to a Ukrainian flag and are still saying the Ukraine. It's Ukraine. It's not the Ukraine. Um, It takes away the country's autonomy. Uh, It is absolutely inappropriate. Ukraine appears 
on English maps as the Ukraine in the 16th and 17th century when it was part of Poland. Now, this definite article of the is also associated with when they were part of the Soviet Union. So when you when you say the Ukraine or when you say the Ukraine, basically you're treating them as if they're still part of the Soviet Union. Is that really what you want to do when they're in the midst of being invaded by the Russians and people are losing their lives and forced to flee their homes? Why say the Ukraine? I, I heard, uh, and I'm not, I don't want to pick on Bob Brown because he's a very skilled news anchor, an award-winning news anchor, but I heard him say the Ukraine. Why would he say the Ukraine? Why would anyone say the Ukraine? I I interviewed Frank McKay, who was in Ukraine, meeting refugees a week or two ago. He said the Ukraine. Why do people say the Ukraine? Please stop doing it. Until you do, I do denounce you. Also on the Russian um, front, I want to denounce... All of these entities that are demanding these Russian athletes and artists denounce Vladimir Putin and Russia before they can compete in international events. Now, this fella, this tennis player, Medvedev, is not going to be able to participate at Wimbledon unless he denounces Putin in advance. How would you like it if American athletes had to denounce America for our support of Saudi Arabia in the war in Yemen before American athletes got to participate in different places. Because what's happening in Yemen, where the Saudis are killing innocent men, women, and children with bombs that are stamped with made in the USA, that's that's an atrocity as well. I also have to denounce YouTube. Do you realize our radio station, 77 WABC, is now suspended from YouTube because I had Vladimir, uh, not Vladimir, (laughs) I had Roger Stone on this show on Monday, and Roger Stone said something controversial. Now, I don't even know what, what he said that was controversial, and it was not something that I said, and we played the disclaimer, the views of this person don't represent the views of WABC. So because Roger Stone said something controversial that I don't happen to agree with, if he even said it, where Molly's checking the record and checking the uh, fas- the fastidious notes that Matt Blaze keeps on every show to see if he actually said it. But I think they're just banning us because we had Roger Stone on. I don't think he said anything that's untrue. And if it is untrue, why not slap a, a warning on there or, a, a, I don't know, something, an advisory? Why ban our whole page? Why punish all the other hosts on this station because Roger Stone said something that YouTube considers to be untrue? I consider that to be completely inappropriate. YouTube, I do denounce you. Finally, I want to denounce whomever stole my The Other Side of Midnight travel mug. We had a terrific travel mug, which... The merchandising department gifted to me at WABCRadioStore.com, and they gave me one, and we kept it here in the hopes that we could have guests whenever they're in studio pose with it, and I I thought it was a nice thing, a, a fun thing. It lasted a week before someone stole it. So to the person or persons 
that stole that the other side of midnight travel mug, presumably because they were too cheap to buy one of their own, I do denounce you. All right, if you did something bad this week and you found yourself escaping a denunciation, count yourself lucky. You want to comment on any of this week's denunciations, give me a call, 800-848-9222. It's 800-848-WABC. If um, you want to be heard on any of the other issue, you're welcome to be heard on that as well. Marlena Schiavo joining me at 4 o'clock. We have a great deal to cover, and uh, we'll do that in mere moments. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead. WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 77 WABC. Freeze break! Side of Midnight. This is the Jay Giles band. I wanted to play this um, actually this song nine days ago, but we just got the uh, the rights to it because of uh, Joe Franklin's birthday. And uh, the Jay Giles band did one of the greatest performances of Freeze Frame ever, ever. And uh, if memory serves, they ended their performance of Freeze Frame. And at the time, you got to understand this. This was a local show in Channel Nine where most of the guests were people you'd never heard of. And the Jay Giles band at the time, was the, they were the biggest band in the world. They were the biggest rock and roll band anywhere. And they chose to perform on the Jay Giles band. And if memory serves, they, they, they chose to perform on, on the Joe Franklin show. And I think that says a lot about Joe Franklin. That, that is for, uh, for sure. Um, but 800-848-WABC, that is uh, 800-848-9222. And I think it was either the Jay Giles Band. Uh, yeah, it was the Jay Giles Band. It, it, the Jay Giles Band, I'm, I'm, I don't know why I'm second-guessing myself now. It was either the Jay Giles Band or the Ramones. No, it was the Jay Giles Band. That they actually had themselves covered in paint after their performance on the Joe Franklin Show. They had to put... Um, cloth mats down everywhere as paint came coming down from the ceiling. And, of course, the good folks over at the Jay Giles Band insisted that it be done with Martin paint because, after all, it ain't just paint. want to remind you, uh, in order to help you deal with your Frank Morano withdrawal this weekend, in addition to catching up on the podcasts of this show, which I hope you'll do by subscribing to our podcast at The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. That's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. want to encourage you to subscribe to our Racket Report podcast, where we cover issues related to organized crime. Uh, my guest this week is Christian Cipollini. And we spoke about a lot of uh, subjects related to organized crime. Uh, here's a snippet of our, our discussion. Why don't we hear about mob killing at all anymore? Did the mob just wake up one day and decide we're no longer going to be killing people? There's always going to be an evolution or something dies. 
the American mafia may not be the top dog on the list, whereas, you know, cartels pretty much internationally run the show now. And that's like anything else. It's not going to last forever. But they're still in existence. Why aren't there as many mob hits like there was back in the 80s? Times change. There you have it. Uh, we covered a lot of other ground as well. 800-848-9222. Marlena Shivo uh, should be here next hour. Do we get in touch with Marlena? She's usually here by this time. Did we get? No, we didn't. I hope she didn't oversleep. All right. Well, if she overslept, I don't know if she did. But if she overslept and she's not here, then don't worry, because I have a ton of other stuff that uh, I had on my list to get to already. But I was too busy listening to Jeff on the West Side tell me how much smarter than me he is. Uh, so we'll have an opportunity to talk about that, and we'll do the $1,000 minute. 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Yeah, I want to comment that one of your denunciations. I thought I was experiencing deja vu all over again, because you like Johnny come lately on the block. People have criticized this Ukraine thing, and I think it's a matter of semantics. And one of my pet peeves is people that harp on semantics. I mean, we have a borough in the city called The Bronx. Right, but, but it's called it, The Bronx. But when you write it on a letter, it says Bronx, New York. It doesn't say The Bronx. Yeah, that's because it's it's Bronx County. But the proper name of the borough is The Bronx. Now, the proper name of Ukraine is not the Ukraine. It's Ukraine. You wouldn't say the Canada. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up. But but why should it be the Bronx? It's not the Brooklyn. It's not the Queens. Well, because, why is the well, Bronx, again, Bronx any different? For, for it's the, not a word, Bronx. Yeah. Well, for the for the it's fifth time for the fifth time, I will explain the etymology of of the word of the of the term the Bronx. the The family that lived up there was the Bronx family, Jonas Bronk. So for a long time, beginning in the 17th century, when folks were going up there, they would say they, they would say they're going up to see the Bronx or they would go. We're going up to the Bronx land. And that because they had all the land up there. That's what people would say. We're going to the Bronx, meaning we're like we're going to the Moranos. We're going to the Moranos house. So it stayed even after the Bronx no longer owned it. But it's not called the Brooklyn. It is called the Bronx. Okay, but that's a case in point. It got that way by word by verbiage. Now, if you're going to condemn half the population because they've heard people say the Ukraine and they're simply repeating it, that's another case of, of people repeating what they heard. But, but you know why? You know why I take issue with it, Larry. And uh, and look, I've been accused of being pro-Russian, but I look at these Ukrainians fighting for their country. I think it's very brave, and I think they're demonstrating a lot of heroism. I take issue with it because it's so insulting to them. They have a country really? which it says right there in the Constitution, as it has for 31 years, that the country is called Ukraine. They specifically chose to call it Ukraine instead of the Ukraine because the Ukraine is a reference to them being part of the Soviet Union. So by calling them the I Ukraine, see. you're, you're actually treating them as if they're still the Soviet Union. I hear. I don't know if it's worthy of a denunciation. Well, though. fair enough. I, I, fair enough, Larry. Maybe you're right. It's just I try to pick. A, I, I try to pick ten, and when I only have nine, the, these denunciations <laughs> get very creative. Larry, thanks for the call. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Marlena Shivo may or may not be here in mere minutes. So, well, I've got my fingers crossed. Hopefully, you do as well. If she's not here, I've got a lot of other stuff to talk about, including Andrew Cuomo's attempted comeback. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everybody, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Well, this show has largely turned into a get at Frank show, and I didn't expect that. A lot of people taking issue with me. Uh, I, I, you know, as uh, Peter King once described himself. And by the way, it's great to have Peter King here yesterday as the Grand Marshal of our St. Patrick's Day festivities. Uh, P- when I remember, we had Peter King on the radio either with uh, Curtis or with Joe Piscopo when he was feuding with uh, John Boehner or Joe Piscopo or. Uh, not Joe Piscopo, uh, John Boehner or um, uh, Ted Cruz or Rand Paul or somebody. And, um, you know, Peter King described himself, and I thought it was the most apt description that I've ever heard someone give themselves. He described himself as, you know, I'm actually a pretty easy guy to get along with. That's the way I've always felt about myself. I try to get along with everybody. It kills me that I've managed to upset so many people by daring to ask questions. Um, all right, we're going to take your calls in a minute. Marlena Shivo is not here, so that is bad news for me in one respect because I think she is terrific on the radio, and she's just a lot of fun to hang out with. She's a, a good friend. But it's also good news on the fact that I had agreed because I hadn't seen her in a while, and I felt bad the last, like, five times that we've hung out together. It's been with other people, so she didn't get a lot of one-on-one frank time, which I know a lot of people really value. I said, all right, we can hang out and maybe grab breakfast after the 7 a.m. weekly production meeting we have. So now that she's not here, that means I get to go right home after that 7 a.m. weekly post-production meeting. So it's like you win and also you lose. A couple of quick notes. Um, One item that I wanted to bring to your attention. Did you know that Hillary Clinton had a podcast? Did you? I feel like that's one of those things that I knew and then I, I f- forgot about because I don't ever hear anybody talking about it. Matt Blaze, did you know that Hillary Clinton had a podcast? Were you aware of this? No idea. You didn't? Yeah. I don't think. Molly, what about you? Were you aware of that before this? Well, her silence speaks volumes, that's for sure. Um, I'll assume that's a no from Molly. Um, but Molly may not have known it. I might not have known it, but she does. And her guest this week was none other than the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. And they covered a lot of ground. And I, I didn't listen to the whole podcast, but I did read a uh, a bunch of the descriptions. And I found much of what Eric Adams said. And look, I don't think I have to um, tell you what I did to make sure this guy wasn't elected. I think I worked harder than anybody except for Curtis Lewa to make sure that he wasn't elected. But um, I found a lot of what he said I agreed with. I found a lot of his comments about not taking uh, what people say on social media as gospel great. Uh, I liked uh, he kind of stood up against the movement, um, you know, uh, to defund the police and some other things. He said a lot of things that I agree with. But 
Something about Eric Adams that I did not know is that he's a bath taker. And of all the items to cover in this interview with Eric Adams, I never imagined that they would cover taking a bath. Listen to this discussion of Hillary Clinton and Eric Adams. But I do a lot of self-care. You know, I, I laugh and joke. Uh, I'll tell you in a minute. I'll put some bubble baths and some rose <laughs> pellets and incense and sit in a hot tub in a minute. <laughs> you are a man after my own heart, Mayor. Nothing like a hot bath. I mean, I can't believe I'm talking to Eric Adams, Mayor of New York City, about our bath practices. <laughs> so I, I give him credit. For coming, um, you know, being so open about his bath methods. And look, Eric Adams, love him or hate him, he's had a troubled relationship with the truth. He um, has been very vague and very dishonest, quite frankly, about certain aspects of his past. He's exaggerated a lot of things about his past. He's taken stories that have happened to other people and assigned them to him. But there's a couple of things – like. I, again, I see so many parallels between Eric Adams and Donald Trump. In a lot of ways, Adams is a wild man, right? Uh, kind of like how Trump was. But if you look policy-wise, and he's saying a lot of crazy things, like Trump did. But policy-wise, like Trump was, with the exception of this vaccine idiocy, Adams is doing a lot of very good things. Bringing back this anti-crime unit, he's calling it an anti-gun unit, not exactly as Rudy Giuliani brought it back, but I think that's a positive. But even aside from the substance of what he's doing, put that aside, I like this guy's style. I like that he's, uh, you know, he was, uh, it was some article, and again, you read so many articles, you forget where you read what. But there was some article the other day I read, and he was out somewhere, and I think it was at this this hoity-toity private club that he goes to, Zero Bond. And he was holding a drink, a Tito's and soda. And some people, it might have even been at Rayo's. It was either at Rayo's or Zero Bond. I don't remember which. And he was holding a Tito's and soda, and somebody wanted to take a picture with him because that's what happens when the mayor comes in is you, um, you know, you want to take a picture with the mayor, whoever the mayor is. And he puts his arm around the person that wants the picture with him, and the person, like they're looking out for him, says, oh, put your drink down. You don't want to get the Tito's and soda in the in the photograph. Because that happens with me sometimes. I'll be holding a drink, a martini or, a, or an old-fashioned bourbon or whatever, and somebody will say, oh, you don't want to be photographed with the drink. You know what Eric Adams says? No, let him take my picture. I drink Tito's and soda. I am drinking Tito's and soda. Why shouldn't I be photographed? Drinking Tito's and soda. So I gave him credit for that, and I gave him credit for being open about taking baths. I um, I like baths. When I was, um, you know, for most of my life, when I was living at my mom's, I was almost exclusively a bathtub person because at least for about 10 years that I lived there, I she had this wonderful jacuzzi bathtub, which was so relaxing. You get some bubbles in there, some lights, some great uh, bath salts. The, the house that we're in now, we don't have um, a big old bathtub, so I primarily take showers. But when I'm in the mood for leisure and relaxing, I am a bath person. I love it. And uh, I was just – I felt more relaxed just listening to Eric Adams describe his his bathtub ritual. Matt Blaze, where are you? Bathtubs or shower? Bath or shower? 
I'm not hearing you if you're talking. I'm I'm a shower. Your shower stretch. I don't think the, I don't think I've taken a bath in since I was a kid. Really? Yeah. See, not me. I love a good bath. I get, I can't remember the last one I took. It's probably been at least a few months. Probably when I was uh, in a in a hotel room in in Atlantic City or Las Vegas or something, and they had a nice bathtub because you know our, our bathtub is kind of it's kind of rough and ready. It's kind of utilitarian. It's not anything special. But um, when there's a nice opportunity in a luxurious bathtub, I'm all about it. Molly, are, are you uh, are you a bath or a shower person? Oh, she's um, pleading the fifth on that one as well. I don't blame her. 800-848-9222. Hey, uh, let me play this as well before we move on. So it's clear that Andrew Cuomo wants to come back this year, right? I mean, he's got to do it quickly. So I expect we will see a decision on Andrew Cuomo running for governor within the next seven days. Because this petitioning period, as Yogi would say, it's getting late early. And right now, he's going to have to go out and get 15,000 signatures minimum. Now, he can hire people to do it. And uh, I'm sure you'll have a lot of volunteers and people to do it. It's still tough because you have to bind and number all those petitions. It's it's tough. It's tough to get 15,000 petitions, especially when you have two other gubernatorial candidates, Swazi and Williams, who also need to get signatures. Hochul doesn't need to get it. But um, they meaning if they've already signed for Swazi or Williams, that signature is not valid for Cuomo. So I expect we're going to hear something within the next week. Andrew Cuomo continued his attempted comeback tour yesterday in the Boogie Down Bronx, where he spoke at the church of Reverend Ruben Diaz, former state senator, former city councilman. This was the governor, former governor of the state of New York, Andrew Cuomo. Cuomo, do you plan to run again for governor? How are we doing, sir? Are you ready? Yes, sir. Thanks for the help. Thanks for everything you do. All right, guys. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Amen. Cuomo, you want your job back, sir? Got my green tie. Please let him through. No response on that question. But if you, I don't know if we have any other um, Cuomo audio, but if you listen to the audio from his speech, it definitely sounded like he wants to run for governor again. And I wouldn't be surprised if he does it. How do you think he'd fare? Win? Lose? I'm curious. If you're a Republican, doesn't matter which Republican you're supporting, whether it's Harry Wilson, um, Lee Zeldin, Andrew Giuliani, or uh, uh, Rob Astorino, or one of the other candidates that's running. Are you almost hoping that Cuomo wins the nomination because he's an easier candidate for the Republicans to beat? I kind of think you would be, because Cuomo's so polarizing. He's got not only the sexual harassment issues, but the nursing home issues, the issues of using state workers to write his book. He's got a lot of baggage. Whereas Hochul... Hello, this is Governor Andrew Cuomo. Hochul, you may not agree with her. She doesn't have the kind of baggage that Cuomo does have. So uh, we'll see what happens. I, look, don't want him to be governor again, but that's life. Part of me does hope he does come back just so I can bring back my uh, Andrew Cuomo impersonation. 800-848-WABC. Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick. Good morning, Frank. Just want to say Sorry. Listen, I heard everybody yelling at you and all that. And I just calling about nothing, just uh, something simple about peanut butter. You once said you love peanut butter. I do. That's true. Okay. Two ways. I'm I asking if you've ever tried it. Have you ever had it on bread with bacon, lettuce, and mayonnaise? Ba- bread with um, bacon, lettuce, and mayonnaise. I can't say what, that I have. Butter? No. 
I have never tried okay, that. You got to try it, Frank. It's um, you know, salt. It, it, peanut butter peanuts can be either sweet or with salt with beer. They go with anything, and it melds with the the uh, mayonnaise and the bacon, and the lettuce gives it a little bit of crispiness. It's wonderful. Also, you need to try it in oatmeal. I, I have it's tried incredible. that actually. In fact. There is an oatmeal-themed um, restaurant that I love to go th- go to in the uh, in the village. It's right across from the IFC Theater. It is wonderful. It's called Oatmeals. It's on West Third Street. Oh, you're kidding! I gotta I gotta go there. It is I love phenomenal. Our, oh, you remember we had a big thing where I put salt in my oatmeal and you derided me for that. Well, no. So, so they I, have. Um, if you look at the menu. You first of all, you could build your own oatmeal. Oh well, actually, wait a minute. I'm looking now at the the uh, Google. Google says it's permanently closed. Um, I guess this is a, a real victim of the pandemic. I'm going to have to research this because I loved this restaurant. They had oatmeal forty different ways, including with Parmesan cheese and with all sorts of other stuff. Sun dried tomatoes, pesto. It was just. The really incredible, incredible experience. Before you, you don't, don't hang up, I have one other thing, please. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the way you say words unusually, but correctly, like Connecticut and mm-hmm. Brooklyn, you know, the word nothing, it struck me the other day. It's like, it says no thing. It's actually what it means. But we, for some reason, we say nothing instead of no thing. It means no thing. It's spelled exactly N-O-T-H-I-N-G. But for some reason, we see nothing, not – what are you doing? Nothing. Instead of saying no thing, which is what we're actually doing. You know who nothing says no thing once in a while? Curtis does. Uh, Curtis oh, says no thing. Yeah. He, uh, one of his uh, favorite phrases to me is, has been, uh, it ain't no thing. Um, and, <laughs> so he, he, I do hear him say that. If you listen to him, you'll hear him say that as well. 800-848-9222. Lastly, and I don't know, I must be a glutton for punishment that I'm willing to reopen this wound. But again, almost the last thing that I want to mention right now is NATO, because apparently I can't discuss NATO, Ukraine, Russia, foreign affairs without people calling in and screaming at me, which is not really my style of radio, but if you can't help yourself, so be it. I had to, I came across this piece of audio from Ambassador John Bolton, uh, he was on Bill Press's podcast. Now, I'm not a big fan of John Bolton for very for many reasons, but I had a big I had a big problem with what he said to Bill Press on the Bill Press podcast. This is John Bolton on the Bill Press podcast talking about NATO, Putin, Donald Trump. Listen to this. Do you believe that had he been reelected, he would have pulled out of NATO? I do believe there's a very substantial chance of that. Uh, I recounted in the book, uh, the NATO summit in the spring of 2018. And I'll tell you, and I think uh, Jim Mattis and Mike Pompeo, who were there with me, uh, speaking candidly, would say they were just as worried as I was. John Kelly was chief of staff, was there. We we would all say he was right on the verge of doing it. Uh, And I think uh, in a second term, uh, there would have been many things that happened in the Trump presidency, ma- many of which would disappoint even some people today who remain his followers because he would have been completely freed uh, of any uh, electoral constraint at that point. A- and because I think the, f- the failure of the first impeachment 
uh, to convicting, which was entirely predictable, uh, it not only didn't constrain him, it emboldened him. It would have emboldened him in a, in, in a second term. So I think that's one reason people ask, well, why did Putin wait? I think he uh, may have believed, most people did before COVID anyway, that Trump would win a second term and, and that in the second term, Trump might well go after NATO. And so Putin would have gotten what he wanted in Ukraine for a lot lower price than he's paying now. Uh, so Trump was doing his work for him, basically. In effect, that's right. Yeah. And I think I think this is the, you know, the uh, Leninist phrase is useful idiot. And they haven't forgotten that in Moscow. So, OK, I can't describe because it's take it takes too long. All of the reasons I strongly I don't have a problem with John Bolton personally. I think if he was here, uh, you know, I'd be happy to have a sandwich with him, have a beer, talk to him. Could be a nice guy for all I know. Uh, and in fact, whenever I've dealt with him, he was a nice guy, actually. Incredibly polite and um, a nice enough guy. I can't, as a public personality and as an intellectual and as somebody that's been a Washington insider for 40 years... I despise everything about John Bolton, everything about him. Uh, And I'm not going to go into all the reasons why at this moment. I'll just take apart what he said there. You want to you want to say that Donald Trump was a useful idiot for Putin. Now. At the actions that Vladimir Putin has taken. During the various presidencies. During the Bush administration, he went into Georgia. During the Obama administration, he annexed Crimea. During the Biden administration, he invaded Ukraine. There are various theories as to why that might have happened. I believe the reason that Putin didn't uh, seek any Russian expansion during the Trump era is primarily because he believed that Donald Trump was sincere in his desire to have a better relationship with Russia. But let's say I'm full of it. Let's say I don't know what I'm talking about, and that makes no sense. Vladimir, um, uh, Donald Trump spoke to someone I know at Mar-a-Lago the other day and said he told Putin, Again, this is in court, they'd call this triple hearsay, totally inadmissible. I wasn't present for this conversation, but this is uh, what I'm, I'm repeating to you what I was told. Trump told this person that he told Putin that if you invade Ukraine, I will bomb Moscow. Now, somebody like Donald Trump says that. Don't you think they might take that kind of seriously? So I don't know if the reason Putin didn't invade a country during the Trump regime is because he believed Trump could be friendly with him or because he was afraid of what Trump might do. But the record is clear for John Bolton to somehow take that success in containing Putin and extrapolate it to this bizarre conspiracy theory that Trump was going to pull out of NATO even while Trump got other NATO member countries to do more towards kicking in their fair share, because all the NATO countries are supposed to put in 2% of their GDP for their for the shared defense. Most of the countries aren't doing it, but Trump kind of got more countries to get a little bit closer to that number. But for Bolton to state without any evidence that Trump was going to pull out of NATO, it doesn't make any sense. 
Secondly, um, for him to first, there's a strong case to be made that in the post-Soviet era, NATO's obsolete. Strong case to be made. Uh, I'd rather hear John Bolton address why it's so vital that we go to war to defend Montenegro or Estonia when they're attacked. That was missing. Lastly, you want to call Trump a useful idiot on the issue of Russia? Trump was very tough with Putin and Russia. He was actually much tougher than I wish he was. He gave the Ukrainians lethal aid. I don't think he should have. He publicly embarrassed the Germans for buying energy from Russia. He instituted sanctions on Russia. He bombed Syria twice. And he withdrew the United States from the Open Skies Treaty. I mean, to call him a useful idiot, meaning he's doing Putin's bidding, I mean, it just, it defies logic. Because Trump was more worried about defending the borders in this country than defending the borders of Eastern European countries, he's a useful idiot? Come on, Ambassador. Um, That's pretty low rent, even for him. 800-848-WABC. I'm done. Done discussing NATO and uh, other other. Foreign Affairs Matters. Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, Frank. Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying in the last hour. Great, great ideas, insights. Uh, but on the NAF thing, I slightly disagree with you. I well, it's not think... me saying it. It's it's uh, it's it's some studies as published in the um, the Journal of the Alzheimer's Association. Yeah, yeah, but look at the way, for example, like Spain or whatever, they have the siestas. If you want to do something later in the day and you actually need a nap, I know this from like doing long-distance running. It's, if I feel extra tired, I just can't start out doing that, running 8 miles, 10 miles. You know, if I need a 20-minute nap before that, I actually do need that. I'm with you. I'm with you. I was very surprised at this study. I thought, actually, that it was going to say the very opposite. But And I'm hoping next week there'll be a study that ha- that sings the benefits of frequent napping, and I can give them naps a commendation. Yeah, I mean, even look at tr- uh, a truck driver. You know, if, you, if you're that tired, you got to pull over and agreed. take a nap. Agreed, Joe. Uh, absolutely agree. Uh, look. I mean, it's just kind of uh, denunciations are not meant to be too formal there. It's more about a, a yeah. way for me to mention a whole bunch of different stories within a few minutes. It's not meant to be taken Talmudically. Yeah, verbatim, I understand. But I, but I really, you know, these people have got to realize if you need a nap, you know, like but, if you're going on to do something, you, you can't be dead tired. Well, no, you're right, Joe. And look, I nap and this is not going to change my behavior but what was interesting about this study, one, is it's a real study done by a reputable group of researchers. Two, it was done over 14 years. Three, it found not just a correlation between napping and dementia, but a degree of causation as well. So I felt at least I owed it to folks to mention. You know, speaking of Andrew Cuomo, I think it was Donna that just uh, posted something about Cuomo in the Facebook group. If you want to join the Facebook group, by the way, go to Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. You can see a great photo of somebody that bought the travel mug and posed with it. We love that. If you buy something from the WABC radio uh, store 
which you can get at wabcradiostore.com. You can uh, purchase it there and and post a photo of it in the Facebook group. Just search uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters, or you can just type right into your web browser, facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. Speaking of Cuomo, though, Bronx Democratic District Leader said after hearing Andrew Cuomo speak at church yesterday, uh, because I guess Cuomo said this, cancel, cancel culture. It's catchy. Put it on a T-shirt. Uh, that's what the district leader, Dion Powell, said, offering a potential campaign slogan after listening to the ex-governor speak. It's so interesting to me that Governor Cuomo, because it's him who's being canceled now, has now become a champion of opposing cancel culture. That's life. I, I wish he would have spoken this loudly against cancel culture when Brett Kavanaugh, without being charged with any crime, without being convicted of any crime, was seeing his name dragged through the mud. But he was only too happy to join the pile on Kavanaugh. He, see, he'd, have a, he'd be a lot more easy to sympathize with now if he had been consistently against cancel culture. Like Alan Dershowitz. Alan Dershowitz is for free speech for everybody. So when, free, when Alan Dershowitz says something that I don't agree with, I sit there and applaud. You know why? Because Dershowitz would do the same thing for my right to free speech. 800-848-WABC. Pete is on Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Good morning, Frank. I got a question for you because, you know, I always turn to you when I want to know something about politics. That's a scary situation, but go ahead. No, well, the thing is, if Cuomo ran, would he have a runoff with uh, the current uh, governor or would they be they would run against each other? That's a good question. So, no, in state elections, for better or worse, currently in primaries, there's no runoff. So all the Democratic primary candidates that make the ballot, let's say it's Williams, Swazi, Hochul, and Cuomo, all four of them would be on the ballot, and whoever gets the most votes wins. They don't need a majority of the vote. Now, that actually inures to um, uh, Cuomo's benefit because that means um, that means he can win with 35% of the vote. If, it, if he needed 50%, I don't think he could ever get 50%. Now, could he get 34%? Yes, and that's enough to win in a four-person race. Wow. That's that would be back to like the day of Ross Perot running. Yeah, no, well, just... well, yeah that's a great point, Pete. And I don't want to relitigate the nineteen ninety two presidential race. But to your point, that is why I have always favored ranked choice voting. And thanks for the, the call, Pete. There's not a, a chance that Andrew Cuomo would ever win a Democratic primary if there was ranked choice voting. His only hope is to win with a plurality. So imagine that. Let's say Cuomo wins this primary with 34% of the vote. That will mean that before you even get to Republicans, that will mean that 66% of Democrats voted against Cuomo. And yet because he's got the plurality of the vote, he'd be the nominee. And because this is a Democratic state, he'd probably be likely to win. So I found it very interesting. Uh, That's one of the reasons I was very pleased to see And I don't know why he didn't do this in his interview with me, uh, but after he was on this program, Harry Wilson came out with this big plan to fix the state. And um, one of the aspects of it is ranked choice voting. So I was very pleased to see that. I hope all the uh, I I hope all the uh, candidates, you know, adopt that. Joe is in Ron Kunkama. Hello, Joe. 
Hey, Frank, uh, great interview with the Colonel. Um, Thank you. What can I say? You're a great interviewer, and you're not a bully, okay? You you know, you listen to everybody, but when people start screaming at you, I, I was listening to that gentleman to, uh, when he was over-talking you and not giving you the common courtesy. Uh, you aren't being a bully. You were just listening to him, and you were doing a rebuttal. And please, I... I I just when I listen to some of these callers, I I just I laugh, you know. And as far as Cuomo, I agree with you. I think he should. They should have him run, and it would be great for the Republicans because the Republicans would win in a landslide. Have a great weekend. Enjoy a nice cigar, and don't worry about what these callers say about you. Uh, thank you, Joe. I'm not too worried. And the fact, the truth is. As critical as a caller might be of me, I'm grateful that they're listening. And that goes for everybody. Uh, If you disagree with everything I say, if you can't stand anything that I do, and you're still listening to this show, I actually like you a little bit more than the people that, that listen to me, even though they agree with what I say. It's easy to listen when you agree. It's a much tougher thing when you disagree. So I appreciate those folks. Uh, 800-848-9222. I want to squeeze in two last calls here, and then we'll do the $1,000 minute. Troy is in West Babylon. Hello, Troy. Mr. Frank, I believe about 80% what you say. Hello? So, beg your pardon, Troy? Said you, I, said I, agree, I agree with about 80% of what you say. Well, you remember no. what Ed Koch used to say. He said, if you agree with me on 8 out of 10 issues, vote for me. If you agree with me on 1 out of 10, don't vote for me. If you agree with me on 10 out of 10, you should see a psychiatrist. I'll say right on point then. Hey, I want to, I want to tell people to denounce Ken Griffin and Citadel Securities. They've been trying to uh, short Citadel Security stock, AMC stock for the past year or so. And people uh, stop paying attention. Stop getting into that, that BS. That's Sodal, Sodal Securities? No, it's a Citadel. Citadel oh, Citadel. Citadel. I, you know, I'm not familiar with that situation, uh, but I'll look into it, Troy. And look, you, you have a lot of credibility with me. So. I'll YouTube it. I'll check it out. All right, thank you much, man. Thank Bye. you, Troy. Take it here. 800-848-9222. Patty is in Ozone Park. Hello, Patty. Yes, I want to end your show on a happy note. I went to St. Patty's Day Parade yesterday in Manette, and I got a seat at a bus stop, and I had all different people come. We totally enjoyed the parade. It was just wonderful. And then I had to track my way home on the subway system. Well, I tell you, I had a wonderful day at the parade, but that subway system, I went uptown, downtown, uptown, downtown, to finally I met a lady on one of the trains. I don't know where I was going. But finally, I, I found my way down to, uh, well, down to the park, the Central Park, and then I took the ferry home. So I finally got home. It must have took me almost two hours to get home, and I don't live that far from New York City. But I tell you, that parade was wonderful. Well, I'm glad you had fun. I'm, I'm so glad wonderful. it came back, and, uh, and there was a lot of action. It looked like everybody had a good time in spite of the fog and the dreary weather. Yeah, but it's just wonderful people in New York City. That's for sure, Patty. I, I can't disagree with you on that. Uh, Jeff's in Suffolk County. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Frank, I, you know, uh, usually we don't. We, we butt heads and everything, and you know, I like everything you do. But you know what I got to say? You got to be on 60 Minutes, bro, because you, 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 uh, you, you got a handle on this. And I think Rush will be proud of you. 
Well, uh, thank you. I don't know that Rush could have made it on 60 Minutes either. Are you talking about as as an interviewer, as a, as a commentator, or as a uh, as like somebody that's profiled on 60 Minutes? Uh, I don't know. I just I just think you got it, man. Well, thank I mean, you. I listen to Dominic a lot. They say he's got it. You got it, bro. Well, that, that's very, very kind of you, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, Dominic certainly does have it. He is he is great. R- 60 Minutes did do a piece on Rush about 30 years ago. I'm going to, um, you know, Car- Steve Croft interviewed him. So, like, they do do radio people. Um, they did Howard Stern. They did, um, I think they did Imus. And they've done Rush as, uh, as well. But um, I will say, I've always thought that a show that was more likely to do sh- a piece on me is CBS Sunday Morning, because they do sort of interesting features and things like that. And, you know, if you look at what we're doing on this show, it is pretty unique. We are the only live and local mainstream talk show in the country. And I I wish that they would do a piece on a national um, news show like CBS Sunday Morning about us, so that encourages other radio, and we're number one in the market, right? So I'd love for other radio stations in other markets to do live and local overnight shows and see the success that we're having. Because I think, honestly, the success that we're having is so important um, because, you know, I, I remember I, I, this occurs to me once in a while. The former president of Brazil, Lula da Silva, he said around 2009, 2010 or so that he prayed more for Barack Obama's success than for his own. Um, he said in, in, he said basically, yeah, he said, I'm praying more for him than I pray for myself. Um, and I really I really think it's so important that even if you don't like me, it's so important that this radio show be monstrously successful because that sends a message to people around the country that, yes, a live and local radio show still can work and still can be a success. Two, I think it shows that you don't have to be um, mean-spirited. You can you can have some fun and, uh, you know, and not necessarily shout people down who disagree with you. Three, I think it's... It shows that a show that has people with multiple different points of view, that's not all right wing or all left wing, can be successful. And a show that's not totally doctrinaire one way. And a show that can combine sort of paranormal topics, off the wall topics, conspiracy topics, aliens, along with uh, cultural issues, along with social issues, along with me telling personal stories. And analyzing the news, I think, as well as most shows do, I think um, the fact that a show like that can be successful really should be a model for how to save talk radio going forward. So I I really think the whole country should be rooting for the success of this show. I realize that may sound a bit self-serving, but I think 60 Minutes or uh, CBS Sunday Morning or a show like that should be doing uh, national pieces on this one. Hey, uh, I've talked enough. Now we're going to give you an opportunity to win $1,000. Uh, those of you that are on hold and want to be heard, uh, you stay on hold and I'll get to you. Or uh, you can be the seventh caller to 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And uh, if you are the seventh caller to that number at 800-848-9222, 
you will have an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you can do it, you will be $1,000 richer. Straight ahead. WABC. By the Jaggers, uh, a terrific song and uh, a classic if ever there was one. All right, time for one lucky listener to test his or her wits and see if they have what it takes to win $1,000 because it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's meet today's contestant, Mike, in Staten Island. Hello, Mike. Hey, how are you, Frank? I love the show. Uh, well, good. I think I'm doing pretty well. And uh, I'm now that you're a Staten Islander and you're a fan of the show, I want you to win this contest even more. Excellent. Thanks. I feel lucky. I'm hoping I do well. Wonderful. Now, uh, you're familiar with the contest. You know what to do, right? Yes. Okay. Timer will begin after I ask the first question, and you're going to have 60 seconds. If you get a question right, I'm just going to move on to the next one so we can make our way through all these, okay? Okay. Okay. Name something that has caffeine in it. Coffee. What state is Las Vegas in? Nevada. What state was Donald Trump born in? New York. What is the Friday before Easter called? Good Friday. What team won the World Series in 2021? Oh, World Series in 21. Uh, oh, shoot. I'm not a baseball fan. Uh, East Coast. Uh, East Coast. National League okay, team. I'm going to say it is Atlanta Braves. Correct. Okay. What frequently used Italian salutation can mean either goodbye or hello? Oh, um, uh, bonjour. No, no, uh, no, no, uh, uh, goodbye or hello. Uh, oh, goodbye or hello. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, that's it. We're out of time, uh, Mike. The answer we were looking for there, and I think we would have had to mark you incorrect anyway because you answered bonjour. But ciao, ciao, yes, ciao. Uh, came a little bit late. <laughs> yeah, so I know it's it's tough at four forty in the morning. You did well though. You got um, you got five and a half questions correct. When you're in Italy, just tell people ciao, whether they're coming or going. Tell them ciao, and you'll be you'll be in a good position. 
I will always remember Chow Frank. This they, was a, <laughs> this was great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, Mike, I'm going to put you on hold, and uh, Molly will get your information, and we'll send you something nice. You know, that is funny. When you lose a, a contest, you do remember that. When you lose a trivia contest, you you do remember that forever. You know, I was on a uh, a game show, and I didn't know the opera house in Milan, La Scala. I will never forget La Scala. And uh, it is something that's ingrained in my brain forever. All right. Uh, squeeze in a couple of quick calls here. Uh, Steve is on Staten Island. Hello, Steve. Hello, uh, Frank. Uh, happy St. Patrick's. Hey, I just wanted to comment about Andrew Cuomo uh, getting back to the governor's seat. So I think he's the run for president. Don't you think so? I don't. I think uh, he'd be a terrible president. But I mean, Putin will probably fear this guy. Oh, 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 Putin. Putin, yeah. Uh, so, no, I wouldn't vote for Putin or Cuomo, that's for sure. Uh, Carol is in New Jersey. Hello, Carol. Hey, ciao, Frank. Ciao, How Carol. Are you? Good. <laughs> you know something? something? I would love to see you on CBS Sunday morning. I, I think you would be great on there. I love that program. And I would love to see you on there. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I would love to see you become the new producer of that show. Uh, uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, that would be fantastic. How are you feeling, Carol? You said uh, last time I spoke to you that you'd been in the hospital. No, I had a concussion. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Good. Now. Good, good, I, good. I feel fit as a fiddle, believe it or not. Yeah, they kept me there a little bit longer because... They thought I was a little bit anemic or something like that. I'm not really sure. But uh, I'm telling you, I had the best lunches and best uh, breakfast there. I mean, it was like... In the hospital? Yeah. Wow. You don't really usually hear that kind of glowing endorsement of hospital food. I They serve the most fantastic dinners in these beautiful um, plates and... uh, coffee and vegetables and all that stuff. Yeah, well, I feel that maybe that's why I feel better than ever. I don't know. Uh, could be. Could be, Carol. Um, well, so if people are looking for a good meal, maybe they should check out the hospital that you went to. Thank you, Carol. That's right. Appreciate it. Uh, take care. Bye. 800-848-9222. Um, if you want to comment on anything we're talking about. Hey, you know what I'm hoping to be able to post this weekend? And you swear you're going to want to uh, follow my Facebook page. But I took video a couple of days ago of my Aunt Camille making her egg salad recipe. This is the best egg salad that I've ever taken, I've ever tasted. And I finally got her on video making it. Um, then uh, I got her to go on video, do it. And it's funny, she would always say when I would ask her what makes the video so, what makes the egg salad so good, that she was, um, you know, she would she would not just say nothing. I don't do anything differently. I just put a little salt and pepper in it. That's all she would say. And I said, I can't be that. Can't be that. So anyway, I saw her make this in front of me. And you're going to see the video if you follow my Facebook page at facebook.com slash fan. The good folks in the video department are Working on editing this a bit. We got Gabby and Crystal and uh, 
Uh, Dan, for some reason, I keep calling Joe. He looks more like a Joe than a Dan, but that's fine. And uh, we're working on getting this egg salad video produced, hopefully today. And I'm going to link to it on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Fan. And now that I'm paying the $3 a month to join Twitter Blue, I can link to it on on Twitter as well. And so you can follow me on Twitter. I'll link to it there, too, at Frank Morano. Uh, but, Matt Blaze, I brought some of this egg salad in. It's in the refrigerator if you want to if you want to try some. I absolutely will. Now, we, we have sort of an embarrassment of riches because it's pizza night, so we oh. got the pizza. I have the egg salad that I brought in, and we have all the Irish food from the St. Patrick's Day pe- feast and all the Jewish food from yep. the Purim feast. There's and- cakes, breads. All sorts of pastries, besides all the other stuff that's always here anyway. Right, right. So there's an overabundance of, it's like, I don't know what to eat first. Yeah. And Frank, Kellen tried to give me a tray of shepherd's pie on my way out the door, and I was like, we physically cannot have any more food in this building. Yeah, You're, you're, you're very smart. Very smart. I had to say no. I was like, it's it's game over. By the way, I, I do want to mention uh, Molly is going to be off on vacation for a couple of weeks, getting some well-deserved R&R. You have anything? You don't have to tell us what you're doing, but do you have anything uh, fun planned, Molly? I'm going to be on a boat. Oh, you are? I'm going to be on a boat. Where are you going to go? Uh, south of here, um, where the the sun is shining and I uh, don't have to answer a phone 10,000 times a night. Um, I love I love my job, but I'm getting carpal tunnel. So <laughs> do we know? Um, by the way, you'd be but got to be careful because there was this cruise ship, um, a Norwegian cruise ship that was just ran aground in the in the Caribbean, and the passengers had to uh, basically take a they had to fly out of uh, the Dominican Republic because the cruise ship ran aground. Now, they're getting a full refund, and they're getting credit for a future cruise, but it is certainly an inconvenience. What cruise line are you going on? Can you tell us that? Norwegian. Norwegian. Yeah. Oh, all so, right. I- I'm really hoping that <laughs> okay. uh, we get reimbursed, so hopefully something goes wrong. That is fun. Uh, <laughs> I'll have a lot of fun. Um, all right. Well, that's It'll me. be great. Thank that's you. Me. Good for you. Enjoy that. Are we still... Um, are, are we still doing our uh, Friday meeting, as far as the both of you know, today? As far as I know. All right. Well, I, I, Usually, if we hear that there's no meeting, there's no meeting. But I haven't heard anything, no, so I assume there's always a meeting. Neither are I. Hey, speaking of travel, you know who has just traveled into the studio? The great Sid Rosenberg. Hey, now. Um, Sid, you're, are you going to California today? I am. No, to- no, Sunday. Oh, you're going to leave it Sunday. See, my face is not shaved. I'm usually very clean-shaven and handsome and... This is now five days, and I can't shave until I'm done filming, which scary. is a week from tonight. You look like a gangster. Well, there it is. That's, yeah. that's the idea. Now, you're playing a gangster in this new Gemini Lounge I movie, am. right? I'm Who are playing, you playing? Uh, Roy DeMeos. He was the uh, the leader of the gang, Gambino. He uh, he ran the show at Gemini Lounge in Brooklyn. His first cousin, a guy named Joe Guglielmo, they called him Dracula. He was a bartender by day, and he helped drain the bodies and cut up the bodies at night. That's wow. my character. It's a very big role, and um, I've got three movie roles this summer. Frankie, so you're playing, really you're playing Joe Guglielmo. I am, yes. Uh, this is the first movie I'll shoot. I've got two more, one shooting in, uh, in May between New York and London, one in August in Bayonne, New Jersey. But this is my first movie role, and I really believe this is going to be a huge hit. Danny A., Emile Hirsch, 
You have um, Ashley wow. Green, Bo Deedle. It's going to be a very, very big deal. That, that does Actually, sound Actually, scenes with Emil and all those folks. That's pretty cool. Yeah. See, now, I don't know how much you know about Joe Guglielmo, probably since you're playing him a lot more than I do. But you, I don't know if you heard this story that what he once robbed a bank in broad daylight. You aware of this? No, I'm not. So he robbed a bank in broad daylight dressed as a woman. Oh, I did hear yeah, this. And, yes, and so yes. He stole a getaway car, held up the bank in the middle of the afternoon, and then flipped the stolen car because he was in such a hurry to get away. He stripped off the woman's clothing as he ran down the busy street. But he didn't take off the makeup. Oh, my God. <laughs> so the, the manager of the bank quickly identified him in the police lineup. Oh, my God. He, Joe was still wearing the makeup. He responded to the bank manager's accusations, and he says, how the F do you know it was me? Oh, he's not too smart. <laughs> no, this is the best. He says, how the F do you know it was me? I was dressed like a woman. <laughs> ah. Now, he was a crazy guy. I mean, really crazy. In fact... The whole the whole crew was crazy. Bo Dieter will tell you a story that Roy DeMeo, they, they stuffed in a trunk, they killed him. Joe Guglielmo went missing one day and they never found him. The consensus is he was killed too. But they would go around town bragging to other crime family members what they were doing, chopping up these bodies, you know, draining the blood. And the other crime bosses were like, oh, my God. I mean, we kill people when we have to, but... That's disgusting. Yeah, yeah, well, I can't wait to see the picture. Do you have any idea? Obviously, probably not at this point. Do you have any idea when this was going to be released for people to see? Well, uh, we're going to shoot uh, through April. I have to go back to Los Angeles April 14th to shoot again. And I believe in May, we're going to do a couple of scenes in Brooklyn where the actual bar was. So cool. if we wrap up shooting in cool. May, probably around Thanksgiving would be a uh, legitimate time. Well, when you shoot in Brooklyn, I definitely would love to come to the set and just sure. visit. That'd be really Absolutely. Amazing. Well, that's been... And so, do you know who's filling in for you next week? I know you don't care about that Oh, stuff. I couldn't care less. Uh, you <laughs> I mean, I, I know Bernie's going to be here, and uh, he's already sent me three text messages. I'm in for a long week. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, uh, Bernie will be here. They listen. They'll, they'll throw in Peter King, I'm sure. Maybe they'll bring back Russ Salzburg. I don't know. All right. Well, uh, have a good uh, have a good trip. Uh, listen to Bernie and Sid from 6 to 10. You know, by the way, you were great with me last Friday. Oh, thanks. That was so much fun. That was fun. And that Ron and Santa, who's one of the other movie guys I'm making, he's making that CNBC stock market movie. He oh, actually sent that. me a text. You know about that? No, I didn't know that. Oh, in 1963, a guy named Tito DeAngelis nearly crashed the whole market because of a soybean, a salad oil scandal. Stole a bunch of money from American Express, made about $100 million, and only because President Kennedy was assassinated was it not a bigger story, wow. and the market didn't crash. So when Santa and CNBC are making that movie, and I play... Tito's best friend. A huge role, which I'll shoot in Bayonne starting in August. So you've made the full transition to actor. Basically. That's like cool. Like Lou Rapino keeps saying, you're not coming back from California. I'm like, yes, I'm signed for the next <laughs> no, 10 you like, years. Like with The Rock from wrestling, he's now full-fledged movie star. He's they, not uh, a wrestler. Right. No one views him as a wrestler. Well, uh, The Rock, it's funny you say that because when people have called me The Rock in front of me and Danielle, she says, my husband ain't The Rock. He's the pebble. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks again for having me in last Friday. You're welcome. So you were great. We'll, I love you. We'll, uh, We'll do that again. Have a great soon. weekend. Hey, you too. Enjoy the trip to California. The great Sid Rosenberg. Uh, he is indeed spectacular. Hey, um, those of you that want to be heard for 15 seconds, including the guy that calls in and says Sid's a moron, now's your opportunity. 800 848 Straight ahead. WABC.
Here comes the weekend. The weekend is here, ladies and gentlemen. At least for me and Molly and Matt. Uh, although um, we have this meeting first. And uh, now it's your opportunity to be heard, at least for 15 seconds. All you have to do is dial 800-848-9222. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mike is in Montclair. Hello, Mike. Hello, Frank. That hospital bill for $587, baby Carmine accrued for room and board. Perhaps he was hitting the mini bar when you weren't looking. <laughs> Greg Endover. Oh, sorry. Greg. Greg Endover. Zelensky should throw in the white flag. He's done. Who should? Zelensky. Ah, Zelensky. Bob in Brooklyn. Anthony Weiner's laptop was loaded with kitty porn when NYPD special victims detectives looked at it. They were absolutely sickened. Why is he on your radio? What the hell's the matter with you people? Fred in Yonkers. Hey, Frank, in order of St. Patrick's Day and spring on Monday, who's the first Irishman to come out in the springtime? I give up. Patio furniture. <laughs> I actually did hear that one yesterday. That was funny. Al in New Jersey. And they not saying something stupid like, and they not saying something stupid like, Jay and oh, oh, uh, Leo on the Upper West Side. Good morning. Regarding the caller, Jeff, who claimed to be smarter than you, the IQ test is average of several areas like math, fantasy, memory, and social intelligence, which is uh, interception. Interaction with other people. He failed miserably. Far away behind you. Well, thank you, uh, Leo. I uh, appreciate that. Look, I'm I'm not sitting here saying I'm the smartest guy in the room. Believe me, I'm not. Um, I'm just trying to put on an interesting radio show. That's it. Um, hey, this was a fun show, I thought, and I thought an informative one. If you want to stay in touch, email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. The WABC Early News is next. Frank Morano, good day.